Hello and welcome to the Lot to Unpack Here podcast. I'm Lee, also known as Bewildered Bee, and with me I have Alice. Hi, I'm Alice. Uh, I am your anachronistic co-host. Sure. And Alex. Hi, I'm Alex, your anarchistic co-host. Ooh. Dabs. The two genders. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we got a lot to get into today, but before all that, we have some updates on the topic of our last episode, Binet. Alex, you want to tell us about it? Oh yeah, there's uh, just yesterday, from the moment of this uh, podcast recording, uh, after four weeks of radio silence, the remaining members of Binet USA, which I assume is just two people now, <laughs> have begun tweeting again. Ooh. And. Ooh. And I'm not kidding, their last message was their not apology on May the 2nd. Sure. And and then, just yesterday, on the 26th of May, there was a flurry of tweets, uh, and it begins with this. We said what we said again. <laughs> By members of the board of Vinet USA, all caps. Last communication with this flag controversy, quotation marks. <laughs> We strongly reject and refute any assertion that Binet USA claimed or ever claimed the bisexual pride flag. What? You can't do that. <laughs> I just trying to gaslight us. Like, like we, we saw that happened like this fucking year. They didn't the, do tweet, that. the tweets are still up. This is the crazy thing. Oh my god, that's incredible. Fuck yeah, this wasn't even the news that I was going to do, that I was going to do. It was like, I was going to do something on, like, <laughs> all of the previous members of Binet, like, were sent an email by Faith Cheltenham. You know, you can imagine what it was about, um, sure. you know, just more things. And they just made a huge open letter saying that they completely denounce that and it's completely against what Binet USA stands for. And I think that's what I was going to lead with. And then they come out with this. Ah, that hot fire. Some breaking news. Aside from the fact that the tweets are still up and we've screenshotted proof that this is a total lie, the original tweets are still up and their pin tweet is still the one (laughs) where they're trying to shake down the HRC to remove the bi pride flag from their Zoom backgrounds. It's right there! They're not like even trying to bother hiding the evidence. I'm having a stroke. I'm just feeling (laughs) unreality issues, major unreality issues right now. Look, basically, look, I'm just really fucking annoyed with all this flag controversy lately. Like you know, it even it even goes outside of Binet. Uh, recently, uh, the National Health Service in the United Kingdom has claimed the rainbow pride flag. What? And, oh, yeah, 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 right. Um, because, you know, the government made a, like, thing to use their rainbows as a symbol for, like, children just when they're on walks and stuff to, like, you know, reassure them, hey, everything's fine and stuff like that. That's yeah. That's wholesome. And okay, and you know, somewhat expected, and it isn't like you know too erasury. Um, but um, the National Health Service have put not just a rainbow, but like the rainbow pride colors, and then just slapped their logo on it. Oh, go on. I'm not even kidding. Down my road, they uh, actually have bought pride flags to hang out in support of the NHS. They won't hang that out for Pride Month. 
by the way, uh, these businesses. I mean, they'll fucking put that up for the NHS, though. <laughs> if if the NHS uses that as a troll to like get people to hang up the gay the gay pride flag, I'll be all right with that. That would kind yeah. of so. Um, so there are two possibilities of this one. Um, it erases uh, it erases the significance of the pride flag in the UK public consciousness. Which there is evidence that that is the case already, uh, since a lot of companies have been uh, rebranding the Pride stock. I'm not kidding. That's the word that London buses used. They're rebranding their Pride buses to become NHS buses. Oh well, it's fucking amazing, abysmal. Wait, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, however, the Philly Pride flag you can use, and that is the what's Pride I, flag. Okay, so there's a there's the Philadelphia Pride flag, which has the colors, as well as the normal rainbow colors. It has brown, black, I think, gray as well, uh, white, light blue, and light pink. Yeah, it's sure. like a trans flag and the Black Power flag. As well to you know, like just rolled into like the rainbow pride flag as well. It's it's pretty good, you know. Okay, I'm looking it up. I'm sorry, it's really not aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> hey, so being a homophobe. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not feeling this aesthetic design. There's like too many colors that don't fit together at this point when you're adding also like the brown and the flag. I'm sorry. Ooh, hot take. Yeah, hot take. <laughs> I know. I don't like the flag design. I'm all for the message, but the flag design itself. Nah, nah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not jiving with this. Alright, so I'm gonna go ahead and start us off proper with the first segment of this episode. And there is so much going on with the subject of this tale. Like, much, much more than I expected. And I'm like not sure if I can fit it into one segment. Like I'm looking at I'm looking at a fucking twelve page document right now. I did not <laughs> oh expect God. it. I did not expect it to get this much. It's it's a lot. He's just, he's like beefy. He's like beefy John McAfee. <laughs> he is. He is. Yeah, but with like cool yellow glasses. I wouldn't say they're cool. They're I mean, cool. That's open. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> All right, but but we're going to try to get through as much as we can today. So strap in, folks, because today I'm going to tell you that epic story of actor Steven Seagal, a true biographical political sci-fi thriller. <laughs> All right. right. Steven, yep. Yeah. I've just looked up a picture. Of my main man, Steven Seagal. He's beautiful, isn't he? <laughs> okay, folks at home, like... Our dude, the dude, Stephen Skyle. You're coming up with like new ways to pronounce his surname every time you say it. I love that. <laughs> Seagal. Stephen Seagal. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> he looks like a really bloated John Travolta. He <laughs> <to> decides. <laughs> okay, I'm putting the. Uh, we don't have time for that chat. I'm posting a picture of what Steven Seagal used to look like in the 80s. It's like a massive fucking change, honestly. Oh, Jesus. Oh, wow, he but, looks like he could be on Law and Order. 
Yeah, looks he looks like, like he normal. He looks like a knockoff Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah, like he looked he looked fairly normal, and then you're just googling him now, and it's he's this gorgeous big baby with the yellow sunglasses on. Oh, the orange, wondering. not yellow. Yellow, orange, whatever. Right. The orange. The orange, yeah. Okay, so, so started from the top here. Stephen Frederick Seagal was born in Michigan, 1952, the son of a medical technician and a high school math teacher. He was a sickly child, frail and asthmatic, described by his mother as puny. Fucking owned. Oh, wow. Ow. Fucking owned. <laughs> it was after the family moved to California that Stephen's health got better. He's the one person who's actually turned out better by moving to California. As a teenager, Stephen liked to spend a lot of time in his garage listening to loud rock music, and he also worked with a friendly old Japanese man at the dojo. Uh, uh, what? 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 Uh, no. Okay. What? Is this one of his movies? Like, be honest. No. Now. That's not. That's, no. not that's not fucking real. No. That is <laughs> no, not fucking real. That is. That's. Well, at least according to Steven Seagal, that's. Real. I don't know if you have any evidence <laughs> okay. of the friendly right. old Japanese right. man existing, but according to Steven Seagal, he did. <laughs> Was this a dream? I choose to believe had... the friendly old Japanese man indeed existed and he worked for the dojo in Garden Grove. I... I, I have no response to that. Did, did he just watch The Karate Kid and he just put this on his Wikipedia? Like, this is... Uh, <laughs> he just added his own Wikipedia? No, because... Because... Right, so I'm on the Wikipedia page and continuing um, my uh, rant from no, the last one... No, 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 no. Stephen C. Gale is Wikipedia <laughs> article is protected. <laughs> <laughs> All right, seriously though, you gotta stop reading that article. Yeah, stop spoilers. spoilers. Okay, right. I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it. Just close that window, Alice. The window has been closed. Fantastic. It's hot in here. <laughs> It was while working at this dojo that Stephen became like some sort of bizarre 70s proto weeaboo, and he ended up moving to Japan shortly thereafter. Like he was, he was the first weeaboo who like became obsessed with Japanese culture as some shitty kid. Uh, I am, I I contest this. I contest you contest this. this. Okay, you're the you're the historian among us. Who was the first weeaboo, Alice? Fucking Voltaire. Fucking Voltaire. Bitch ass Voltaire. Fucking bitch ass weeaboo Voltaire. Oh, look at me. Japanese monarchy is the best thing. I've never been to the country, but oh, wait, I love the cult and I hear about from it. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just imagining Voltaire with that little Naruto headband as well. Like, just I'm picturing him holding like an anime body pillow. Uh, yes, he has an anime body pillow of the <laughs> um, emperor. Of the emperor, and then like, um, oh wait, no, 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 the shogunate, the shogunate. He has a, a body color of the shogunate, and and um, he like, he's he's just there eating like rice directly <laughs> from the plants. <laughs> Alice taking several seconds to think of an Asian food and coming up with rice. Hmm, I see how it is. <laughs> Look, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but unlike Voltaire, I'm not a weeb. 
the two genders, being a weeb or knowing nothing about Asian cuisine. The two choices. Pick one. Like, I'm sorry that I'm dumb. <laughs> oh, it's all right. We're all dumb. We're all a bit dumb here. That's it's true. Fine. I mean, what? Why would we? Why would we agree to this podcast if we weren't all just completely thick and ill-advised? You know? All right. So after after Stephen moved to Japan is the first point where the story gets a bit strange. I'd personally <laughs> like to think of it as two alternate contradicting timelines that have someone some have somehow ended up mixing into our timeline. And Stephen himself like doesn't seem sure which of these timelines is the real one as he keeps giving contradicting testimony on the matter. I mean, that's, a, that's like, you, you're making it, building it up like a sci-fi kind of thing, but you could, but it also could be that he's a liar and, a, you know, and crazy. I don't like, I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that the other story also happened in another timeline. All right. That that's that's what I choose to, to believe. Yeah. The first of these two timelines is this. Stephen enrolled at Fullerton College for one year from the fall of 1970 to the fall of 1971. This story is supported by enrollment records from the college. After that, sometime between 1971 and 1973, he left for Japan and lived there until 1974. Now, that sounds normal enough, but the second timeline is a bit more messy. In this timeline, Stephen left for Japan a few years earlier, between 1968 and 1969. He was a teenager living alone in Japan, and he studied Aikido under Ueshiba Morihei, also known as O-sensei, the founder of Aikido. <laughs> That's the way in Um, I, okay, well, did he, did, did someone fake those records, if that was... <laughs> now, I'm not sure if there are records, I haven't been able to find anything on that, but I got, I got a bit more about it here. We could dismiss this as fiction, since Terry Dobson, a fifth-degree black belt who studied under O-sensei between 1961 and 1969, says the story is, quote, bull, and that he had <laughs> never heard of Steven Seagal back then. But there is a complicating factor. Another one of Ueshiba's students does remember Steven Seagal being there. He says oh. that Steven Seagal wasn't on the mat very much and that he was the kid who was always playing guitar in the corner. What? This is supported by the fact that Steven really, really, really likes guitar. He has like this extensive guitar collection and he likes, yeah, he like plays some guitar. I, I have questions. Okay, I have a few questions here. Why would he go all the way to Japan and study under this sensei just to play guitar in the corner? <laughs> I have like, no fucking idea. Like, like obvious, Alex, obviously the answer is to own the lips. Of course, yeah. yeah. Silly of me to, to suggest that continue. You know, like, now that you mention it, like the, the timeline where he did study under Osense isn't very good either, because if he was like never on the mat and always played guitar, like that's not very good either. I hadn't really thought of that, but yeah, you're right, Chad. <laughs> like, but none of these none of these are good for him. <laughs> and either way, where these two timelines sync back up is in 1974, when Steven moved back to California. There he met Fujitani Miyako, a second-degree black belt and the daughter of an Aikido master who had come to LA to teach Aikido. And Alex, I know this all sounds very anime, but this is actually supported. Like, we know this is real. 
like these people existed and we know this happened and oh, it, it I, does sound very anime but it did happen no, no don't worry i know that martial arts exist outside of anime it's it's fine i mean i think you know i i didn't i didn't believe that like just fighting was an anime thing like i know that no, these no, are I, disciplines like i was i was surprised by the like uh, Stephen, like, coming back to LA from Japan and falling in love with the second-degree black belt, daughter of a legendary Aikido master. Like, that's kind of, that's the part that, like, what shit look, has actually happened for me? Look, if you do not, if you do not believe that J.K. Tolkien personally went over J. to K. Kaiser... J.K. Tolkien? Do you mean J.R.R. Tolkien or do you mean J.K. Tolkien? Tolkien. <laughs> Jay, that's a fucking curse, oh no! J.K. Tolkien, yeah, famous author of famous author of Harry Potter and the one willing to rule them all. Yeah, he didn't believe that he personally Naruto ran to Kaiser Wilhelm's palace to kick him in the face. And sorry, I I don't know what to tell you. That's an actual historical fact. Don't yeah, of course it is. I don't know enough about history to dispute that, so I'm gonna choose to believe it. It's another. It's another. It's another uh, alternative timeline that's co- that's collided with this timeline. Yeah, yeah. Basically. I choose to believe like that happens in another timeline, or possibly in this timeline. I don't know. This feels like a David Cage game. <laughs> oh, I'd so love to see a David Cage game on Steven Seagal. Oh, that would be so good. And just a David Cage game starring Steven Seagal, co-written by Steven Seagal. I would pay so much for that. Produced by Steven Seagal. Made by Steven Seagal. Not like and co-directed no. by Steven Seagal and David Cage. So you have to do like the AI thing where their two visions collide and mismatch. And neither of them can make the art they want to. And, and then, then they and mess. then they kiss. And then you have the option Aww. to kiss. Yeah. Make it. Make it, French development team. Yeah, Quantic Dream, get right on that. Alright, so, when Miyako and her father moved back to Osaka, Japan, Seagal went with them. Stephen had two children with her, Kentaro and Ayako. Stephen is often heralded as the first Westerner to open a dojo in Japan. But this isn't quite accurate, as he didn't actually open the dojo himself. He just kind of taught at one that was operated by his father-in-law. This does appear to make him at least the first Westerner to operate the dojo in Japan, to teach in one, and that's still pretty impressive in its own, right? I mean... Yeah, that's Yeah, good on you, Stephen. Yeah. Alright. So, this is the second place where the timelines diverge, as Stephen has, on different occasions, both confirmed and denied the story. In one timeline, Stephen was simply a normal dude living with his wife and teaching at an Aikido school. In the other, Stephen met some people from a particular agency. Now, quoting Seagal, These guys were my students. They saw my abilities, both with martial arts and with language. You can say that I became an advisor to several CIA agents in the field. And, through my friends in the CIA, <sighs> met many powerful people and did special works and special favors. Oh dear. You can say that. You, yeah, you certainly can't say that. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will say that now, you can't say that. <laughs> I can, I just did. Watch me. 
Is he is he pulling a binat as well? Like he said that and said like, look, I never said that. Okay, I uh, can't uh, say that I said that. Is that the deal that we're? I mean, he kind of does with? like just giving different answers in different interviews at different times. Like he, I'm not, I don't think he's done like an active campaign try to raise something from history here. He just kind of like gives different answers when he feels like it. This is you. You see, this is the two Stevens from the different timelines. You know, taking over at different times. Like, but what they're saying is both true for each of them. N neither Stephen is lying. Uh, I retract my statement. Uh, this is a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. So, oh, quoting okay. an article from People magazine, some of the powerful people for whom Stephen Seagal claims to have done security work are the Shah of Iran, South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu and European <laughs> President Anwar Sadat. Why Desmond Tutu? <laughs> I can kind of understand the other two because they're like, you know, they're like powerful sort of politicians from kind of like, you know, places like they have an assassination. But like Desmond Tutu is kind of a peacenik. So I don't know. I don't know why yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. Of, yeah. Yeah. Well, just go with it, I guess. Yeah. While it is the CIA's policy neither to confirm nor deny the identity of its operatives, sources familiar with the agency says Stigol's tale is improbable. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah but somehow. they would say that. They would say that, though, wouldn't they? To keep yeah, they would say that, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So you could, it could actually be true. Yeah. Still, that hasn't stopped the star from trotting it out wherever he sees the need. On the 1988 talk show circuit for his movie Above the Law, an action melodrama about CIA crazies, he told Jane Pauley, there are certain parts of this movie that are very autobiographical. My question is, does he actually believe it or is it just to sell his movies? Cause... I have no idea. I do think there's a very legitimate chance he does like believe it at this point like we're gonna see further and further as this goes on like he just keeps getting more like delusional and weird like i think it's very a very legitimate possibility that he does believe this oh god come on yeah okay <laughs> i thought this was this was this is just insane yeah this, yeah. yeah it's, it's gonna more. get worse. all right so Stephen Seagal's then-wife, Miyako, does confirm that he was often away for long periods of time and says that her children don't have any memory of him as a father. Oh, God, This ow. doesn't necessarily mean that CIA ops was what Stephen was doing while he was away, but I'd like to believe it's the case. Was it like I'd like to believe he wasn't just a shitty father. I mean, yeah, but, you know, also, we're, we're not thinking of another possibility, that he was at the CIA just playing guitar in the corner. <laughs> Oh no. Oh, he was. oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Oh my god. That's so, oh, man, that that is kind of sad though. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it, whether it's true or not, like they the kids have no memory of of their daddy Seagal. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad. Yeah, SMH. Wait, As we're gonna see later though, he'll get more children to make that up for. <laughs> So is it pronounced Seagal is in like the same way that we say Arthur Seagal? Or is it Seagal? No, it's Seagal. It's not Seagal. It's Seagal. Yeah. Seagal. Okay. So it's like the minor dude. Okay, cool. It's like cool, the cool, what? Cool, cool. I'll explain in another episode. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> 
teaser. <laughs> in the early 80s, Stephen often traveled back and forth between Japan and America. In 1984, Stephen married American actress Adrienne LaRusa. And you may be thinking, hold on, what about his wife's vehicle? Well, there's a reason I didn't mention their divorce, and that's because it didn't happen. They didn't get divorced oh. when this marriage happened. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. They hadn't actually gotten divorced when Seagal married Larusa. And when Larusa found out about this, she annulled their union that same year. Like, Ooh. rip, guess my husband was actually married to another lady I didn't know about. <sighs> Steven and Miyako didn't actually get divorced until two years later, in 1986, when Steven knocked up actress Kelly LeBrock, and at this point, Miyako was fed up and the divorce was finalized. Kelly LeBrock, I, lo- I like Kelly LeBrock, he, he, he got Kelly LeBrock pregnant? Yeah, and one year later, Seagal and LeBrock were married. Oh, what They a were married, wonderful- Alex. What a wonderful, stable basis for a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I cheated on cheated my wife with you when we and I were still married, and we had a kid out of marriage, and now we're getting married a year later. That is incredibly stable. Yeah, especially just after a bigamy scandal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to summarize all of this mess, Steven Seagal fucked a lot. King shit. 1987 was also the year Stephen got into acting. One of his students was Michael Ovitz, head of the Creative Artists Agency, who introduced him to Warner executives by arranging for him to give an Aikido demonstration. This demonstration must have been very impressive, because that year Stephen Seagal starred in his first movie, Above the Law. In the following years, Stephen Seagal starred in Hard to Kill, Marked for Death, Out for Justice and Under Siege, which were all box office hits. In 1991. Were they they really? Yeah, they did well. Like, I think Under Siege was like super successful at the time. Like, Steven became like, Steven was like a big star back then, like one of the big Uh, action stars. Was it, yeah, was it just like in in America, I guess? Because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, yeah, I've I mean, heard I, of Under Siege, yes, yeah. but it's like Under Siege is usually just placed on like channels like Men and Motors in my country, <laughs> and, and and you know like uh like Dicks and Cars sort of. Yeah, I do think he was like yeah. probably much more iconic in America than in Europe mm-hmm. because like I mean I'd heard of him, but definitely not the same amount as I'd heard about other people from that like time, like yeah. other action stars. So. In 1991, Stephen hosted Saturday Night Live, and it was a disaster. (laughs) Cast member David Spade, who was a recurring actor in six seasons of SNL, regards Seagal as the worst host he'd ever had to work with. And Tim Meadows and other longtime cast members have spoken of Seagal's humorlessness, his ill treatment of cast and writers, and how he refused to do a Hans and Franz sketch because the titular characters, the characters in a comedy skit, said they could beat up Steven Seagal as a joke in this comedy skit. So he oh, to do it. what a fucking puss. I yeah, swear what a puss. Oh, did somebody smash the, the glass masculinity? Oh! Yeah, really fucking fragile there, Steven. Really fucking fragile. Steven was never invited back to SNL, unsurprisingly. And a year no. later... 
Yeah, really shocking. Apparently, really? Stephen, I think there's a good chance, like, an actor, an actor alluded to, like, Stephen being surprised by this. <laughs> like, he expected it to just treat everyone like garbage and they'd, like, want him back. Like, like he made well, a statement that really seemed well. to imply Stephen was, like, surprised. This went really well. Like everyone cried and you know went silent when I when I left. You know that's good, right? <laughs> yeah, that's good. They were stunned into silence. They couldn't even applaud because they were just so stunned by how funny I was. Like I was so funny, they couldn't even laugh. Like that was how shocking. It, it, it wasn't was. the show wasn't burdened with laughter like it usually is. It was a yeah. real improvement. I mean, that it kind of would be an improvement if they didn't do the laugh track. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, that's this that's this this show with a laugh track. Laugh tracks don't improve anything, folks. Ha, ha, so, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, a year a year after Steven's appearance, creator and producer Lorne Michaels, while doing a skit with Nick Cage, just straight up said that Steven's goal was the biggest joke he'd ever been on the show. Oh, Wait. Oh. Yeah, just in, in a sket on SNL, like, I feel like these they usually hold back on, like, former hosts and people associated with the show, but he just straight up went. It was as a joke, but it didn't read as a joke. You could tell there was some genuine, like, animosity there. Yeah. Just, um, it's just a question. Is it the Nick Cage that we're talking about? Oh, yeah, of course. Nicholas. The Nick Cage, yeah. Nicholas. The our Nick man, Nicholas. Our beautiful, um, beautiful boy, Nicolas Cage. I've got the director's cut of Wicker Man. Ooh, nice. Ooh. I got... I have the, the other Wicker Man on DVD, the, like, pretty good I Wicker Man. I have watched the original one on VHS. It was really good. Gosh, I'm such yeah, a good. And old. Anyway. <laughs> we're That's off topic. Fine. I have, like... Uh, we're trying to nerd one-up each other, but, like, I have a Wicker Man edition that, like, includes the soundtrack with it. So that's that's my that's my entry for the nerd one up. Well, um <laughs> I Yeah. I I don't. I am I can see defeat. <laughs> yeah, I concede honestly to that, like that fucking power move. Power move. Well, yeah, I yeah. don't. I play. I play Blue Eyes White Dragon. So, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Uh, I I love the design of the old Blue Eyes White Dragon. Yeah. Off oh, topic. No. Let's get on the let's get on the seagulls. Yeah, yeah. The, Let's <laughs> the get on seagulls. the seagulls. Yeah, the seagulls. The seagulls. Another infamous incident of Steven Seagal being very hard to work with was in his 1991 movie Out for Justice. Quoting Wikipedia, which I typically hate to do, but the way they describe it here is so good. Go on. Seagal has also been criticized by former stunt performers who had worked with him, including Kane Hodder, Steven Quadros, and Jean LaBelle, of intentionally hitting stuntmen during scenes. Additionally, while serving as stunt coordinator for Out for Justice, Jean LaBelle allegedly got into an on-set altercation with Stegall over his mistreatment of some of the film's stunt performers. After the actor claimed that due to his Aikido training, he was immune to being choked unconscious. 
Lebel offers Sikoth the opportunity to prove it. Oh, 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 oh. oh yeah. wow. It gets better. This, this gets better. Yeah, <laughs> Lebel is said to have placed his arms around Sigal's neck, and once Sigal said go, proceeded to choke him unconscious, with Sigal losing control <laughs> of his bowels. <laughs> So okay, not only has not only has this uh, man like just you know proven that he's like he's radiating some like you know peak Joker energy. <laughs> sure. uh, but um, go on, hit me, but, Batman. <laughs> um, like he also just like. He shits himself. <laughs> just, I, like... can, we just, can we just pause for a minute? Like, this is like, aside from the Binet episode, right? Every single, like, pretty much most of our podcasts have had some shitting <laughs> in some yeah, form. Sure, I think that's like, right. Pooping. Yeah. This is just like a theme throughout. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Everything is shit. You know it is. Yeah. Yeah, like, this is, like, the thing here, like, Oh, you can't choke me unconscious. I'm immune. I'm too combat trained. Like reads as... <laughs> that reads like a fucking nine-year-old trying to like show off. That's like something I'd do in like fourth grade or some shit. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. Well, this is what happens when you play guitar in uh, your aikido classes. Clearly, you don't learn <laughs> in your how aikido how classes that you may or may not have even gone to, like in the first place. You know, bring the timeline dissonance here. So, LaBelle was requested to confirm the onset incident publicly in an interview with Ariel Helwani in 2012, but he avoided answering the question, albeit implying that it was true. He didn't give a direct answer, but he, like, kind of implied, like, he didn't say anything against it either. He kind of implied, like, yeah. All he had to say was no. All he had to say was no, and it probably would have, but that's not what he said. Oh my god. Well, if you if you believe Seagull, like obviously Seagull denies this happened. He directly denied the allegation, calling LaBelle a sick pathological scumbag liar. Which kind of reads like okay. Yeah, like sick pathological scumbag liar really does read as like a the lady doth protest too much statement to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And offered the name of a witness who could prove LaBelle had fabricated the entire story. The claim garnered a heated response from LaBelle's trainee, Ronda Rousey, who assured that who assured that Stigall was the one lying, and declared, Yo, if Stigall says anything bad about Jean to my face, I'd make him crap his pants a second time. Fucking queen oh. shit from Ronda Rousey. I gotta say, out of all of the dramas we've covered so far, I'm loving martial artist drama. This Yeah, I'm this loving Ronda Rousey versus Steven Seagal. It's great. All right, so a few years later, in 1994, Stephen decided that he did not just want to be an actor anymore. Oh no, he was going to direct. Oh god. The result of Stephen deciding he was going to direct was On Deadly Ground, and it is a glorious, glorious mess. Like, I've seen it, and it's amazing. What's it about? In this film, Seagal plays Forrest Taft. An anti-corporate, anti-racist, 
radical environmentalist icon who destroys his opponents with fists and logic. Like <laughs> fist, wait, fists and logic. <laughs> it's like facts and logic, actually... but it's fists and logic. Fists and logic. <laughs> like okay. he like exclusively like yeah he's he's like like he's a CIA super soldier who decides to turn his extreme combat skills against this corporate oil rig and it kinda owns like he drowns this evil company oil magnet CEO played by Michael Caine for some reason in his own oil like what? he drowns him alive in his own oil like Steven Seagal just kind of goes and like uh what probably be classified as terrorism in real life rampage against this oil rig for like trying to poison Inuit land it's so fucking good I I, I mean that actually does sound like a pretty good movie like <laughs> on paper <laughs> I mean uh, depending on your definition, enjoyable, yes, good, no. Oh, oh, okay. Very enjoyable, though. Like, Stephen also, besides, you know, doing anti-oil terrorism, he also becomes the bright savior, magical chosen one of an oh. Inuit tribe. And uh, one of my favorite scenes is when he beats up some racist dude in a bar, causing him to immediately switch his worldview and stop being racist. Like, Stephen, Stephen, like plays the slap game with this dude and he slaps him so many times that he starts crying and shaking and he falls to the ground and... oh, I, I don't think that that's unrealistic because if you've ever been to any Nazi rally if you threaten you know any of these little wimps with fists then they change their beliefs really fucking fast yeah sure like that. So, so I can so buy Steven, that yeah Steven beats this guy up and then he just goes like I don't remember the exact line I'm paraphrasing what does it take to change a man? And the guy just goes, I don't know, give me time. Like, he's fully dedicated. Like, he was just, like, like throwing drinks in the faces of some random Inuit dude, like, early on this scene, and now he's, like, completely changed his worldview. Because Steven Seagal beat him up. Fists and logic, baby, that's what I'm talking about. See, this is what the left should be doing, okay? Absolutely. Just reaching out to the common man who has terrible opinions upon race. Yeah, this, reaching you know, out with your fist the in the face. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, reach out with an oil, reach out with an olive branch, and then proceed to beat the shit out of them with a fucking oil <laughs> olive branch. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I keep saying Crap. oil branch because I'm talking about oil here a lot, considering the movie it is. Oil. Oil branch. Oil. So, so I don't want to. I don't want to spoil on deadly ground here. So skip ahead 10 seconds if you don't want to be spoiled, dear listener. But the movie ends with Steven Seagal making a several minute long speech about alternative energy sources and how oil and gas needs to be done away with. Uh, like, I, okay, I wasn't expecting that at yeah, all. Yeah, that's, that's good. But like, it, the movie just ends with like a several minute long speech that sounds like it's like a political speech. Like it's very out of place. And he does like several mini speeches throughout. It fucking owns. He's like wow. environment, an anti-racist, extreme extremist environmentalist icon. Honestly, he owns in this movie. He's so cool. Huh. I'll be sure to check it out. Actually, now I've yeah, never so, heard of this. <laughs> yeah. So, needless to say, this movie destroyed his career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's yeah. Great. Oh, I got. <laughs> oh, 
just okay. Yeah, in one fell swoop, his image was completely ruined. To quote Verne, the author of the book Seagullology, an in-depth study of Seagull's work. It is the corniest, most unintentionally hilarious movie of his career. You can't understand Seagull if you haven't seen On Deadly Ground. On Deadly Ground was nominated for six Razzies and holds a score of 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ow. Yeah. It's... Hmm. Oh, Stephen. Despite, despite this, despite what people are telling him about this movie, Steven Seagal considered it, considers it one of the most important moments of his career. So, so do never, I. So uh, do yeah, I, me actually. Too. He would never direct another movie again. No, no one would ever let that. him direct a movie again. Was <laughs> well, he a challenge, you know, producers to put him in a headlock and he just shit himself? It was terrible, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Then so... he just played guitar in the corner when he regained consciousness. It was probably like he did. Yeah. He did like do music for some movies, like playing guitar for some what? movies. So, oh, why yeah. are you kidding me? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. He did like so, he did like his own soundtracks for some movies. He were. He I were was in. joking. Was cool. <laughs> yeah, but everything you joke about here will probably come true because this guy's life is so fucking bizarre. This is this is a nightmare. Continue. <laughs> yeah. So, to step away from Seagal's movie career for just a moment, I have to mention a really bizarre controversy that occurred in 1997. And for some context here, and I know this is going to seem incredibly out of left field, but stay with me here. Penor Rinpoche is a lama or guru within the Diagmia school of Tibetan Buddhism. Nikma being the... Yeah, I said, this is going to seem very out of place and very out of left field, but please do stay with me. Nyingma is the oldest sect of Tibetan Buddhism and one of the biggest ones to this day. Rinpoche is said to be the reincarnation of Vimalamitra, one of the most important figures within Tibetan Buddhism. And he's also considered a master of Dzogchen, which is a central teaching of the Nyingma. The Ingma tradition. I you you might be noticing I don't speak Tibetan or whatever language they speak here. I feel like that's becoming glaringly obvious. So this guy, pretty big deal within Tibetan Buddhism. And you may be wondering, what the fuck does this have to do with Steven Seagal? Yeah, I yeah. Am. you are. Yeah. Well, allow me to read a bit from an article published in The Guardian, and it will eventually become clear. In February 1997, I visited Bodhaya. Bodhgaya for a few days. The narrow streets were filled with Tibetan monks, Japanese pilgrims, and Western travelers, and it became very clear that some sort of celebration was taking place. One of the monks told me that I had arrived at a very auspicious time. After years of searching, the reincarnation of a legendary Buddhist master, Odlama, had been found, and he was currently being inaugurated into his role at Mahabuddhi. Usually, the reincarnation of a lama is found when I still, when still a child. If he recognizes the possessions of the former master, he will be accept, expect, accepted as the new one. So I went to the Golden Spire Temple, hoping to catch glimpse a serene, hoping to catch a gl- fuck I can't read today, hoping to catch a glimpse of a serene five-year-old, wise and innocent, blessing the faithful. At the throne under the bow tree was a large, middle-aged white man with not quite good looks no. and a rather ratty ponytail. 
No. Oh dear. Yes. No. no. Yes. Oh, no. yes. Yes. Come on, no. No. <laughs> it was uh, chunky action hero Steven Seagal. No. <laughs> no. I don't allow this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really happening. Or have such video shop bargain bin blockbusters as no. Time to Kill, Under Siege, and The Patriot. Seagal may not have been up there with the Hollywood greats, but in the Buddhist hierarchy, he was just a notch down from the Dalai Lama himself. How? Why? What? Even Seagal is a incarnation of a legendary um, Indian monk. This is canon. Yes, it is. Yes, this is. Look, he even had an official ceremony at all. Of course, he is. Wait. So, yeah. What? Yeah. What? (laughs) No, this is. This. 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 uh, Right. This is. This is really testing my faith on (laughs) other faiths. This is testing my sanity. Like. I just Same here, I was so what? fucking shocked when I read this shit. So, I... yeah. Demon Seagal is... a big news, but, like, what? <laughs> I don't know yeah. how I can go... You know what, I, I, I just think won the podcast, really, because I, I, you know, as much as I've written down, I don't know if I can compete with that shit. I really <laughs> don't. <laughs> that is the wildest yeah, shit I've ever so- heard. <laughs> this when i went into this like i just i just wanted oh right right steven seagal had a funny reality show i'm gonna talk about this and then all this fucking shit jumps out at me like all this shit i did not know what's going on so yeah steven seagal is apparently the reincarnation of 17th century lama shungdrag dorji as discovered by our good friend rinpoche who i was telling you about in the beginning this like legendary like figure within this subsection of tibetan buddhism and the fact that Stephen, before this announcement, had given money to his center own by Rinpoche had absolutely uh, nothing to do with this, of course. Of course. This, it has not, that has nothing to do with why Stephen got to be recognized as a tulku, a reincarnation, without going Wait. through the lifelong training that tulkus typically do. Like, as, as the like, writer of the article said, they're like usually found and trained as children, and Stephen Seagal just kind of went on in there. And obviously, well, I, like, who, who criticized, like, this guy for letting Steven Seagal just purchase his way into, like, becoming a, becoming a part of the Buddhist canon and shit? Because that's, that's clearly what that's happened like here. the least Buddhist thing you could possibly do. Yeah, it is. It truly is. I uh, mean, in fairness, so he has, in fairness, he has proven to be a man-baby, so I guess yeah. like, his training begins now. <laughs> his training begins now. Oh god, I just keep rereading that under the throne of under the bow tree was a large middle-aged white man with not quite good looks and a rather you know, rather ratty ponytail. It was chunky action hero Steven Seagal. I just keep rereading that bit. This is so fucking surreal. Oh, shit. Just, it's just the silence after it. I think we just need a moment to take this in. <laughs> This is just what the fuck is going on in the world. Yeah, truly. It's oh. it is truly a lot. And I'm about halfway through my segment. It's been, I don't know, like 35 minutes. 
should we should we do this as a two parter or should we continue with Steven Seagal? I think I think we should end it there to process it for next time because yeah. I I think my brain might actually shut down if I know any more at this point. Okay, fair. Who's who's turn? This is this <laughs> is uh so this was like I said the relatively like his career had started going downhill here, but this is still like the relatively successful part of his career. Next time we Wait, get into like his career is going down. He's been nominated as the successor to the Dalai Lama. <laughs> his film career, okay, his film career, his Buddhist career has just been going up. His film career has been going down though. Lee, Alex, yeah. I swear to Dionysus, you are all going to. I don't know what, but fucking hell, I don't know what. <laughs> Alice, Alice, are you okay? Would you like, would you like, uh, to like a lie down and, you know? No, no, do you want me, no. Do you want me to, right. do you want me to play okay. guitar in the corner for you? Yeah, play some, play some Steven Seagal. <laughs> all right, so that is all the time we have for our dear friend, Mr. Seagal, today. We have lost enough sanity points and we need time to recover them. Tune in next week for the epic conclusion to that. But before then... Next up, we have Alice. What have you got for us? Have you heard about the war? Which one um, of them? Which one? The French and Indian War, specifically. Oh, no. no, can't really say I have. Oh, okay, right. So, we're going to be doing underwhelming depths. But first, I need to build an image of one particular red-haired... British general. Sure. Who was right. in charge of the 1st Virginia Regiment on the attack of Fort Duquesne in the Forbes expedition, led by Brigadier General John Forbes in 1758. Now, this general, this, the Virginia Regiment has 782 people in it. You'll be pleased to know the entire battle got absolutely fucked, and everyone, everyone on the British side, fucking lost. What? Now, fucking owned. Now, do you want to know who that red-haired general was? Who? Sorry, Colonel. Colonel. Okay, who's the colonel? George Washington. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, okay. First yeah. of all, didn't know he was a redhead. I always seen him with his white wig. I uh, I mean, I guess everyone had like those white wigs. Then they had to have like some some actual hair color below that. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess it still feels weird to like picture him with like ginger hair. But also, yeah. how come I've never heard of this? It's like you know, did they just sort of like did they just pull a PR study? It was like, <laughs> ah, well, I see this as an absolute win. You know, this just um, you know troublesome yeah. past. Anyway, uh, this was part of a series called the Seven Years' War, but this is specifically what they called it in the Americas, which is probably why we haven't heard of it. Hmm. Um, so, let's continue with George Washington. Now, we know George Washington, like, he's a reasonable first, like, leader of a nation. Um, I mean, sure, they could have, like, had worse, probably. Could have had worse. Um, 
like, now I ain't going to glamorize him because, you know, first of all, I'm British, so I have to <laughs> not do that. Fucking salty am... Luther. Typical yes. of you to take sides. Yeah. You know. I'm not taking sides. Yeah, nah, nah. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, nah, I'm hearing you take some sides here. Nah, okay, no, I right. know why you're roasting him in this segment. Okay, so, um, George Washington, uh, like, he lives his life, becomes president, wins the American Revolution. Yay, democracy in America, sort of, kind of. Actually, not really. <laughs> Republicanism in America, yay. Um, so, how do you think George Washington died? I, I remember I think, this from yeah, the you first podcast. you mentioned this to us, actually. Because we I asked don't think it's fair in it. We asked to put a pin in it. Yeah, but... I don't think it's fair that we guess we, we do that. We don't already know that one. But pretend that I do not know. And I would expect that a great president will probably die uh, as many, you know, good politicians have, which is being shot or, you know, in in some way, you know, assassinated. Let's let's go through a timeline of the night that he died. So it's 1799. December 12th, he is surveying the fields with his slaves. It is cold. It is rainy. And he goes inside and his coat is wet and cold. He um, did not change it to go to dinner because he didn't want to be late. Uh, so... Uh, Tell me what happens when you spend long amounts of hours in the cold and wet. I'm sure good things happen. Yeah, yeah I'm sure good things happen. Tell me what you develop. I think it was uh, pneumonia. Logically, I think that's called hypothermia, but I think he developed... No, he developed little sneezes. He got like a little cold. <laughs> Ooh-hoo, yeah. someone to take care of him. Yeah, so the um, fanfic now, bitches. Man flu. He got man flu. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I will note that he is sixty-seven at this Ooh. point. This ain't good. So, um, so he develops hypothermia. It is now two a.m., thirteenth of December. He wakes up with a cough and a sore throat. He then went back to sleep and then woke up, went back to work, clear, clear some trees, and then goes back to sleep. I might get, might be getting. Wait, he clears some trees. <laughs> yeah, he Love cleared some. Up in the middle of the night to just clear some trees. Yeah. What is this with this guy in trees and felling the trees? It's just. Um... I don't know. I I know he had like. I don't know, he likes trees, which, you know, everyone needs a hobby, like, sure. I was like, oh man, I, I'm, I'm okay. dying of hypothermia, better cut down some trees. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, I want this garden to look fucking fantastic for my funeral. Like, these trees, they gotta look fucking immaculate. If I'm dying, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. my trees are gonna look so fucking good. Yes, so. Washington then goes back to bed, like, um... Now, these symptoms, they keep persisting to the 14th. Now, the 14th, he wakes up with chills and sends for the doctors. 
Three doctors show up. Now. What is this fucking Jesus and the three? Yeah, three doctors showed up. Yeah, they came carrying incense and gold. And leeches! Uh, and leeches, baby! I, I was going to ask, so what year of medicine do you think we're in? Uh, the, 1799? Yeah, but like, what kind of era of medicine? Like, do you think oh, we're in leeches, the... leeches, leeches, That's right, leeches, yeah. leeches. So, um, they remove blood from him. Mm-hmm. Does anybody want to guess how much? Um, I, I in mean, liters. I... In liters. In liters. In liters. I mean, is it like um, five liters or something? No. Go oh, down. Go down, so it's like two liters? Go up. Three, Three liters? Go down. Two no, two and a half liters. Two and a half liters of blood. That's oh my 40% God. of the man's blood. Oh my God. And that... Fucking hell. So... Oh, he's dying of cold. Let's just kill him from blood loss and stats. <laughs> let's just, let's just, like, hypothermia. No, he's going to die from anemia if I was saying that. Okay, I think I'd be I think I'd be remiss as a historian if I didn't mention the current the current historical theory of the time was that at the time they were working off the four humor theories, which is basically based entirely around fluid. I mentioned this. Because gets more horrifying. Oh no. Oh, okay, no. go off. So, he was uh, Yeah, I was hoping for a sanity point recovery, but I don't know. Don't worry, sanity but... point's gonna keep going down. Okay. So he was diagnosed with Quincy or preliminary abscesses in his In in English, please. That was English. In in so... simplified in English. In explain like M5 English. Big strong man of country have big, big bump thingy in neck makes your throat oh. go. Out. Oh no! Oh, oh no. no! Oh, that's no. awful. Yeah. Wait, on the outside of his neck or on the inside of his neck? Inside. Oh fuck! Oh, right. oh that's nightmarish. So was this because doctors... of the, was this because of like what they did with the leeches? No, this was already there. Oh okay, okay. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. how do you think they uh, got rid of this? More um, leeches. No. <laughs> just swallow. No. Just like putting a there is more. There is more. There is more ways to extract. Uh, um, like ways. either tweezers into his throat or acid into his throat, and hoping that will dissolve it. Is my main guess Ooh, right now. Close. Uh, oh no. Close. <laughs> the, do- the doctors applied a chemical then, cartharin. Oh, no to uh, the outside of his neck, which then burnt. Joking! I was over-exaggeratedly joking! They can't do that for real! They did that for real! No! Uh, Now, surprisingly, this made George Washington vomit. Now, if you're... (laughs) I I shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry. No, No, it's fine. No, it's okay. He owns slaves. You can laugh at him. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> ha ha ha. <laughs> Fucking owned by those leeches. So uh, this was actually called, 
This was actually extracted from a Spanish fly. This is a chemical you can get from Spanish flies. What? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah that's the horny fly, isn't that's it? The horny? That's like, what's the what? Well, Spanish fly is used as an aphrodisiac, I, I thought. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have no idea. So, okay. So why um, stop using it? Stop using this fucking fly for like chemistry and aphrodisiacs and shit. Just leave the fly alone. It just wants to like fly and shit. SMH. Yeah, it just wants to fly so, and bang. Yeah. So um, so those of you at home, you've realized we we realized two things. My dude Georgie, he has got forty percent less blood than he should have. He has vomited. Wait, 40%? 40 percent. Forty percent of the blood that you should have. Wait, if I said four percent earlier, forty. Forty percent of the blood. Oh my that... god! If I said four, forty. Oh yeah, yeah, that's god. not that much blood in the, in a human body. Like they took out a lot. Oh my god! Oh fuck! Yeah, do not take do not take liters of blood out of anybody. It's fucking bad. If you're like, okay, it is. Okay, I know there's there are like people who like do like bleach trutherism, like oh bleach can cure autism and gay and grown or whatever. Mm-hmm. But please let's not resort to leeches also. Just in case you, you haven't gotten the memo, leeches bad. I mean, like there is some medical circumstances which they can be useful in, but like that is outside the scope of what? this current segment. What? What's blowing my mind, actually, with the leeches discourse is like they can like the you apply them, but like they only remove a little bit of blood at a time. They must have taken ages to remove two and a half liters from this man. The leech discourse. I didn't realize you were talking about landlords. Stop. Uh... I mean, we are talking about an actual land-owning no, sure. previous lord. Is that why they took so much blood? Because the leeches assumed he was one of their own and just sort of swarmed over. Well, it's bloodletting. Bloodletting can um, bloodletting is more than just leeches. Uh, Sometimes it's done with incisions and stuff like that. But um, okay, that explains it a bit better. Yeah, I get it. But um, but for but for fun, it's leeches. (laughs) <laughs> leeches, leeches, leeches. Uh, anyway, he applied some leeches and drained more of his blood. <laughs> I get. I feel bad for laughing, but it's like. <laughs> well, shit, we are washing and no, we, just we lying there. We cut his lying. wrist. We put acid on his neck. Hey, wait, yeah. we'll put some leeches on it. That'll work. That'll yeah, he's just picturing him here, that here in his dumb wig, and he's like already he's dying of like hypothermia. Just shaking, cold. No one's bothered to take off his wet coat. It's still there, and like also his like neck is completely like burned through with corrosive acids, and there's leeches all over him, and he's looking super pale, and there's blood everywhere. And doctors are just like, "Yeah, more leeches." Yeah, we were right in no time. Yeah, more leeches. Put some birds down his neck. That'll help. Yeah. Okay, we got. We tried leeches. We've tried acid. Yeah, we gotta try acid leeches. So we um we now get to the part where Washington does the one good thing, the one brilliant thing in his life. He fulfills that, 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 no, no, the that, American that, promise. Okay, before fulfill- before you say before you say that, I knew you were a British sympathizer, huh? Hmm, the American Revolution wasn't a great thing. Hmm. And I know you were your sympathies lie. You are not neutral in this. 
he actually fulfills yeah. the American dream by saying that his slaves will be freed when Martha dies. He gave the slaves to Martha, who then uh, basically went, yeah, I freed the slaves because uh, turns out uh, living in a house full of people who want you dead is not a good thing. I will give some mad props to the Washingtons, though. They did, they did educate some of the slaves afterwards, as opposed to another founding father. Yeah, I, I won't give. Yeah, that's a very low bar, though. Like, I'm not gonna give mad props to them yeah. for like. Uh, I mean, I'll give yeah. them like a little gold sticker for not being total monsters, but that's it. You know. Yeah. Know. Um, I'm like just. I don't know that the the like. I'm willing to give like Madison like slight props because of how like. Yeah. I don't know how how like nice he seemed to be, which is that like it, it's it's inherently cruel to own people. Like it wasn't like yeah, his gestures of niceness weren't, weren't like really nice. So um, I don't know. I feel I feel kind of weird about giving them credit for not yes. treating their literal people they owned as property like as shirts. Like, but, um, but what I find interesting about this whole scenario is Washington done this with. Barely any blood. Did this basically riding high on blood loss? <laughs> I so, mean, maybe the blood loss was a good thing. Like maybe he decided this because he had been become so fucking woozy from the blood. Like loss. he's just tripping balls. And it's like let's let's free the slaves <laughs> and ride a unicorn into yeah. the sun. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my segment over with. Now we complete the circle, Alex. It's your go. Yeah, we have yeah. a we have a very mysterious segment here because me and Alice don't actually have any idea who Alex is going to be talking about. It's been top secret, classified information, and Alex, are you finally ready to reveal it? I am. I am. I, I'm not sure. I'm. I'm not sure that it will be able to top Steven Seagal, but we'll <laughs> we'll see. Uh, first of all, before I start, I, I will say this before. Again, I kept it mysterious, so I haven't really had time to go into this, but we will need a cut warning for all kinds of shit, you know, rape, murder, assault, suicide. Yeah, yeah, if you. All kind of things. Don't like those topics. I'll, and, I'll try uh, to put like timestamps. Scroll down in the description, click on the click more thing, and I'll have like timestamps up for when those parts are. So you like know and you can skip them if you want to. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Go off. Let's go. Okay. Uh, my topic today is Gigi Allen. That uh, name sounds familiar. Vaguely, I feel like yeah, okay. I've heard of them, but I don't know why that sounds familiar. So okay. this is intriguing. Yeah. Born Jesus Christ Allen in 1956 <laughs> no, in New Hampshire. <laughs> He was the youngest of two brothers. No, no, sorry, were... what? <laughs> he was born. He was named Jesus Christ. Yep. What? It's like it's on his birth certificate. That's Jesus fucking Christ psychotic. Alan. What was wrong with this person's parents? What? I'm I'm getting to it. I will. Okay, go. Okay, sorry. Yep. Calm yourself. Calm yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a great start already. Yeah, that was that's that's the one hell of a start. Yeah. He was the youngest of two brothers whose father, Merle Colby Allen Sr., named him Jesus Christ because according to Merle Sr., the man himself, Jesus Christ, the son of God, visited Merle Sr. and told him his newborn son would grow up to be a great man yeah. like the Messiah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love 
love that. Oh, that's so awesome. He told his wife Arletta all this, and she wasn't happy. (laughs) But kind of brushed it off to avoid arguing with him because he was a crazy Mattenban. What the fuck was he uh, together with him? Like, uh, like, he comes down and says, Jesus, talk to me, and I'll name my son Jesus Christ. And she's like, oh, yeah, classic. It classic was, that's how like, where the fuck is she together? Yeah, I, I will say this as well. Like, I don't know how their attitude started, but I think it started less insane than how it got. It was a gradual sure. progression into an abusive relationship. I can uh, speculate. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm sorry, not... when, it, when it's come to the point when, when like, Yo, Jesus spoke to me, and I'm gonna now we're gonna name our son Jesus Christ. Then that's like that's the ultimate red flag. You oh. just have to get the fuck out of that point. Yeah, there was more overt red flags to come as well. Because oh, okay. Okay, yeah, on. I mean, because this is the thing. Because she, it is kind of like that. She just sort of brushed it off because she didn't want to argue, argue with him, and he was a religious fanatic fanatic and the family lived uh, an impoverished existence in a remote log cabin and it had no running water or electricity and the family was under constant scrutiny from Mel Senior's religious fanaticism quick question do we know how many siblings or Jesus Christ Alan had just the one uh Merle Jr basically Merle Jr uh, had difficulty pronouncing his new brother's uh, name as a little kid. And instead of, you know, trying to call him Jesus, uh, took to calling him Gigi. Hence the <laughs> lifelong nickname, Gigi Allen. Uh, Gigi describes his early life as being more like a prison than a family. Uh, his father was uh, abusive, and apparently he despised pleasure of any kind, uh, including taking away anything that the fam- that a family member was seen to enjoy and burying it in the woods. Jesus Christ. And dear old dad also used to rape Arletta and blow up when she refused him sex. <coughs> Jesus. Yeah. Christ. Uh, he Alan. isolated, yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Alan. <laughs> He isolated his family from most outside contact and regularly threatened them with murder. Uh, at one point, making a point of digging graves for each family member in the basement of their cabin. Oh my god! And naturally, that was that was when Arletta wanted to get the fuck out of that house with her kids. Understand? I mean, un- understand? Literally understandable. Like three things that'll make me run away from a guy. Has a collection of swords, like just on the wall, all the time. No, no, no. I'll defend that. I'll defend that. Swords are cool. You can have yeah. one sword as a treat. Like, but like Steven um, Seagal had a sword collection, and he was great. He turned out. He turned out extremely well with his sword. Don't collection. make me put you back in jail again, Lee. <laughs> um, another thing, uh, I would I would say is another red flag is like. Any Nazi iconography, I will oh, just yeah, sure. mm-hmm. like. I still like. I sometimes like bolt. Like even if I see it in a museum, it's like yeah. Yoink. No thanks. No thanks. Don't want. Don't want to learn about this. I already know enough about it. Um, and another one, having my own fucking grave in somebody's basement. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> and. Yeah, it 
it, it gets a little worse. Um, she tried to escape, and I do mean mm -hmm. escape. Uh -huh. uh, but unfortunately, she was thwarted uh, when Merle Senior kidnapped Gigi and, you know, threatened him. And, you know, she had to go back, essentially, for a short while. And but but thankfully, eventually the boys and their mother managed to skip tile while Merle, Merle, while Merle Senior was at work at the paper mill. She filed for divorce and they never saw Merle Senior again. Good fucking riddance. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, Gigi Allen, as an adult, says he hated this part of his childhood, but he said he was grateful for it because it gave him a warrior's soul at an Wait, early age. Wait, which part of his childhood? The one where everybody says that? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It's, uh, gives I mean, you a little I insight. Might wanna, I get why you might like, need to rationalize, like, oh, this happened for a purpose, like, oh, this made me stronger. I guess why you might want to use that like, as a coping mechanism, but like, still not good. Mm -mm. Red flags. <laughs> anyway, before his first year of school, Mother change changes Gigi's name to, from Jesus Christ to Kevin. Fair, which is good. Uh, yeah. Gigi wasn't a good student. He acted out, got bullied a lot for being different. Had to go to special education classes. Repeated the third grade. Generally, not a good time. I but highly then, relate with this. Yeah, but then rock and roll gradually became his growing passion and obsession. Oh, hell yeah. Inspired by the hard rock band The New York Dolls, he started dressing in women's clothes in high school. Oh, off. I know. He actually, yeah, he actually looks pretty pretty alright. He scrubbed up nice. Oh, go on. Uh, okay, cool. He would do a lot of chaotic behaviour to get a rise out of people. He'd sell drugs, break into places, raise hell with his friends. The typical high school experience, basically. <laughs> Fuck, stop calling me out for, like, not... <laughs> Having any uh, I will mention one thing about high school and his shitty friends. That makes a little bit more sense in context later down the line. Um, his high school friends admit that his brother Merle uh, once spiked his donut with LSD. Okay. And, and Gigi went completely nuts. He trashed his room, kicked, the, kicked in the walls, took off his clothes, wanted to kill his brother for making him do this bad trip. And I do wonder if that kind of set the tone for the rest of his life, because that was a really shitty thing to do, and it doesn't really get talked about as much. It's just, you know, it, yeah, it wasn't I mean, that's a good time. Like, yeah, like suddenly getting super high without like your consent. That's, that's yeah, he was, believe it or not, he was actually really teetotal uh, in the beginning. He was really what, sorry? It was like teetotal, like he didn't really do drugs. Uh, oh, okay. at all before that, you know, because he was like, you know, I mean, he'd raise hell and stuff, but it wasn't until after that that he began his relationship with drugs. And oh, it was sort sure. of a peer pressure situation, yeah. Sure. Anyway, he starts his first band with his brother, Little Sister's Date. Uh, Gigi is a drummer and his brother plays bass guitar. That lasts about, an, about a year. Uh, after he graduates high school, he joins another band with his brother called Malpractice. Fantastic name. I love that name. Uh, and that lasts for two years. He ends up being the front man for the Jabbers for seven years, uh, his brother Merle on, on the bass again. And this is probably the longest he served in a single band. 
like ever, and they have a few pretty good songs. I like the phrase "served in a single band." Thank yeah. you for your service, Gigi, sir, for serving. I in do, this yeah, band. you need to. And they even have a music video, and you can edit around this. I just want you to appreciate this music, the one music video that we have of Gigi Allen in the band The Jazzers. Wait, that's how that's how he spells Allen. I don't like that. I, I feel like it should be like with the E. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't feel this. Can't help his name. I mean, that's the thing. You know, he he he's already changed the first name from Jesus Christ to Kevin. You know, don't wanna don't wanna make too much of a fuss. You won't see Gigi eating excrement in this video. You also won't see Gigi getting fully naked. Either he wears his jockstrap or other pants. There is no reason to flight this video. Enjoy. Oh, fuck now, I'm worried about what I'm getting into here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really long intro to review Smitty. Yeah. Like we're a minute and 20 It was acceptable in. in the 80s. And will they actually like do music in this music video? Yeah, I know, right? Like, this is fucking... This is actually kind of symbiotic of the rest of his thing. He doesn't do much actual singing in his career. Just does shit like this. This sounds like the most generic rock I've ever heard. Just like if an AI just took every like every rock song from this time and just was asked to make something, this is what they make. I'm still worried about the, the like warning in the beginning there about him eating excrement and being naked. Don't worry, there's none in the video. There's none. Yeah, in that's the what video. he said. But my my not involved in human trafficking t-shirt is ra raising a lot of questions already answered by the t-shirt. That's the kind of vibe I'm getting here. Okay, not gonna lie, this chorus is a little bit catchy. Yeah. Yeah, live fast, die fast, don't worry about nothing, but it's a little bit catchy, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, this is the thing, you know, with Gigi Allen, I will absolutely die on this hill that he actually does do good. Oh, he eat trash, he eat trash, he bad boy. I'm the trash man. <laughs> he the trash man? He the trash man. He jump! He oh! Jumped. He died! Oh, he died! <laughs> he dead! F's and shot for Gigi Allen. <laughs> I can't get over the fact that that's how his name is spelled. Yep. G -G. It should be spelled with an E, not a fucking I. And now I'm not liking this. I like the fact that e that that is what offends you the most. Like, yeah, that's the worst gonna... part of this, yes. You're not gonna like what happens next. I, I like the fact that Gigi Allen actually manages to just offend you before you even know anything about him. <laughs> I think he would be happy with that. Uh, anyway. After this, uh, after this period, uh, Alan's behavior grew increasingly violent and erratic. And in 1984, the band split because Alan became effectively uncontrollable. Oh. Uh, this was the point where Gigi, the frontman of the band, took the backseat to Gigi, the experience. <laughs> okay. Uh, he, he fronts many acts throughout the 80s. Uh, the Cedar Street Sluts, great name. Uh, yeah. The Scumfucks, awesome name. Mm. And the Texas Nazis, not a great name. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah no, I'm not feeling that one. Oh, oh, we'll, we'll come out and say this controversial bit. Nazis bad. 
Nazis bad. Can we come out and say the controversial opinion, Nazi punks, fuck off. Goodbye, punks de- goodbye monetization. Goodbye. Did we have it in the first place? We don't have monetization. We'll, we'll, like, we'll have minus monetization. We'll have to pay YouTube now. <laughs> yeah. I will I will say this about the ex-bandmates of the Texas Nazis, just real quick. Uh they didn't choose the name. Like it, Gigi did. Let me guess that's that all on Gigi. Yeah, that's all Gigi. Uh Gigi chose that name because he thought it would offend the most people. Um, but oh, it just fuck, he's just an edge. It's just an internet yeah. edge logo. But it just ended up confusing a lot of real life skinhead dipshit Nazis. <laughs> and one of which, one of these dipshit Nazis tried to start some shit in a parking lot with Gigi after a show. Uh, but then he then wussed out of doing anything because, you know, Gigi is big and scary. And is he though? Nazis. I mean, from the video. I mean, uh, scary, point, yes, big. Um, I mean, kind of scrawny. Eh. Yeah, that's true, but th- that doesn't mean he isn't scrappy. He's pretty scrappy. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, he's not big, but he is scary. Yeah, and he did punch loads of people in this point. Like, he was, oh, I was God. not kidding when he said he was increasingly violent and uh, and awful. Like, he would just pick fights with anybody. Uh, there was a story going around at the time that he got stabbed by a Nazi, but what actually happened was that Gigi got blood poisoning from uh, self-inflicted cuts he made on his <laughs> on himself. Because uh, that's a thing that he did uh, during these performances. He would just cut himself on stage and, you know, and he had to be rushed to hospital uh, because he got infected. Jesus Christ, does he, does he like think he's in a Norwegian black metal band? Like, I mean, dude. this was before this. He was way ahead of his time on this. Like, this was all. When was this? All him. This was like, this must have been like, when was the Texas Nazis? This must have been like 19. 19- yeah, it's like ni- it's after 1984, so this was probably 1985 or something. I think Norwegian black metal was at its peak in the 90s, but they got up with some real fucking crazy shirts. Maybe yeah. I'll do an episode on that in, in the future. Oh, like, definitely. They got up with some real crazy shirts. I think, yeah, this was like, Gigi did his like, own thing. Like, he came up with this horror all by himself. Like, he wasn't influenced by anyone other than his own mania. But anyway, long story short. There wasn't as much Nazi drama as there was believed to be. Uh, he did punch a few skinheads, skinheads in his time, but that's kind of part of the course, you know. Were you going to say skinheads? Sorry. <laughs> it was well. He punched some skinheads, and I don't think it was politically motivated. He got some skinheads into those skinheads. He certainly did. <laughs> like. Yeah, it wasn't politically motivated, I think, because he just punch, would punch anybody. So, <laughs> you know, so I don't, I, you know, it happened. <laughs> Not as much Nazi drama as was previously, you know, it's previously reported. Uh, anyway, he becomes known more for his outrageous stage performances than his music, uh, where he gets naked. He cuts himself on stage, like I said, he wrecks the venue and and equipment which sometimes result resulted in the police getting called um his performance uh with the cedar street sluts in manchester new hampshire for example was so notorious that he was nicknamed the madman of manchester for a bit <laughs> nice. uh it's around this time that you might be surprised to hear he became addicted to alcohol and heroin what a punk a punk rock star addicted to alcohol and heroin 
I'm I know it's and appalled. It never happens. How could, how could Jesus happens. Christ do this? <laughs> he 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 died. He he did die for our sins, and also his own sins. Yeah, also some of his own. There, I'm thinking. Anyway. Uh, the real turning point in Gigi Allen's career was in 1985 at a gig in Peoria, Illinois, where Gigi decided that one important thing was missing from his act. So before the show, he downed some la- he downed some laxatives. No. Holds it in. No. Waddles on stage. No. The band no. strikes up. No. And he, no. And- <laughs> Fuck um, really can't go episode of Shanta. Takes a legendary diarrhea dump in front of the crowd. Oh my god. Now, his audience came to see him fight, use slurs, cut himself, hurt himself, uh, assault some people, potentially, but they never expected that shit. All hell breaks loose in the <laughs> venue. Uh, these these punk kids, these hardcore punk kids, some of which, you know, are possibly Nazis. You know, because, you know, that was a thing in the punk era. They're crying, they're screaming, they're ready to riot, it stinks. And the venue owners practically shit themselves too, so they got to fucking get out. And in an amazing bit of ingenuity, Gigi manages to escape capture by rubbing his own shit into his body. And he stinks so bad and looks so bad that no one wants to come near him. I'm not yeah, making this up. This... shit, MacGyver. <laughs> That's how he avoids getting tackled and getting arrested. He just like oh they just fucking hightail it out of there. No one wants to come yeah, near this, you know, shit covered madman. <laughs> and yeah, he they barely get to the end of the first song, and him and the band have to basically skip town and nice. figuratively pick up all their shit and leave. Um. Although they pick up some literal shit as well, because Gigi Allen is covered in it. Um, <laughs> and anyway, after such positive results from doing that, Gigi decides to make defecation a regular part of his act. <laughs> King. He, I mean, it's he talk... going all in on the like piss people oh, off thing. Holy shit! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like he's really committing to it at this point, and I like I I can appreciate that. Yeah. He tours endlessly with a string of different backup bands. He usually part company with Gigi after he goes too far. Um, and, you know, they're going with Gigi knowing that he can shit on stage. So use your imagination as to what is the like the last straw for a lot of these bands. <laughs> and he makes a lot of enemies with bandmates and venues. And often the money they make from gigs has to go back to the venues they play because Gigi makes a point of wrecking and otherwise ruining everything by performing. That is if they even finish a performance because the cops are often called because some (laughs) mad musician is throwing poo around and attacking everyone and he gets jailed for assault and indecent exposure or Gigi gets various infections and injuries from his performance, and he has to be hospitalized. No, really, he's getting infections from like rubbing his yeah, cutting his himself and then around. rubbing yeah, cutting oh himself God. and then rubbing shit in the wounds generally oh isn't good, God. you know. Yeah, physicians generally don't recommend that. And this is in America where he has to pay for healthcare, so his bills must be fucking oh, huge, dear. you know. So you know, he he, he lives 
you know, most of uh, his existence is very poor. Like he only has like a holdor bag of all of his possessions and just that's all he needs because he has to skip town quite often. And in the middle of all this, he released a handful of punk albums that don't have rave reviews but attain a devoted cult that has a following to this day. And he made two country music albums. Oh, okay. Uh, apparently, he really idolized country music legend Hank Williams, who wrote such songs like Hey, Good Looking, What You Got Cooking, you know, and other hits. Uh, oh, and he felt, I know that. Yeah, and he felt he was a kindred spirit. Like, they both had serious opiate and alcohol addictions, too. So that was also a bit of kinship there. And I gotta be honest, he does rewrite a lot of the popular country music songs that are in the genre and they're actually really good like he's actually a good fit for the genre i have had outlaw scumfuck stuck in my head for about a week now it's uh pretty darn good um another thing that becomes a staple of gg allen's performances which range from musical performances to spoken word gigs both of which involve self-harm setting things on fire and violence against the audience and himself and barely in barely intelligible rants from Gigi just going off on anything um basically Gigi keeps promising to kill himself usually on or around halloween uh but unfortunately or fortunately depending on your perspective he keeps getting jailed around the deadlines he sets for suicides <laughs> fucking owned so he never follows through on his threats uh, when asked why he did not follow through with his threats, Alan stated, With Gigi, you don't get what you expect. You get what you deserve. You get what you fucking deserve. Joker, yeah. baby. He's the fucking Joker. <laughs> At the end of 1989, um, and this is a little bit less fun, because um, <laughs> it was so fun up until this point. Yeah, we're um, having a lot of fun. Gigi Allen was arrested and charged with assault with intent to do great bodily harm less than murder of a female acquaintance, which was considerably more serious than previous charges against him. He admitted to cutting her, burning her, and drinking her blood. But but insisted that she did the same thing to him and it was all consensual. Oh, okay. Uh, this This wasn't convincing enough, though. And he eventually plea bargained for his sentence to be reduced to felonious assault and served j- jail for two years. Uh, during the trial, he was diagnosed with alcohol dependence and mixed personality disorder with borderline and masochistic features. Um, he spent his sentence ignoring all psychiatric help he was given and generally becoming more galvanized in his attitudes uh, with, the atti- and with the abuse that we- he was enduring inside. And after he came out on parole, he created a manifesto. Um, and I don't really want to go into it too much. It is just kind of just as intelligible as the rest of his songs. He like talks about revolution with no clear goal. He talks about government being bad. And like, he hates everybody. And print, and and print, and print, and print. Yeah. Yeah, I said I said this was like this reminded me of Norwegian black metal, but this really is just Varvikina's character arc, but like less serious murder, 
like Varvikin has spent like 21 years in prison and came out and is now like a shitty and prim YouTuber. Like they, they oh, have the wow. same fucking character arc. And he also made like albums from jail and shit. I mean, he hasn't made albums and stuff, but he did like write loads of like really weird letters and stuff. Like he did interviews. There's one interview that he did with a, a music journalist for a zine where they wouldn't let him talk on the phone for a long time. So they literally just wrote questions but letter by letter. And like, just were back and forth, like, you know, one question, answer back, one question, answer back. And he did like really elaborate sort of letters, also to his mother, which is rather sad. Like for Mother's Day, he drew on like two separate pieces of paper, a beautiful rose. Like he was a really good artist, like despite everything and wrote really nice, sweet things and stuff in between saying he was Jesus and the devil, you know, and... (laughs) He was going to, like, you know, kill everybody. You know, yeah, it was, like, that was where, like, the multiple personality disorder came in, I think. Like, there was, like, there was Kevin, and then there was Gigi Allen. You know, two Sarah people. There was the one that wrote really nice art and things to his mum, and then the other side that said he was just gonna, that he, who genuinely said that if he wasn't a musician, he would be a serial killer. And that... (laughs) Yeah, that's the vibe I'm getting, yeah. Yeah, that's well. I mean, he was honest. You know, he said if he if he stopped touring, he felt that if he stopped touring, he would kill a bunch of people. And one of his suicide threats was saying that he was going to take you know a lot of his fans with him, oh, like please. in a giant murder suicide. Yes. He never he never did it. I mean, he might have just been it might have just been talk, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um. That part is now. This is the part of the story that's probably more well known amongst you know Gigi Allen fans, uh, and that was my introduction to Gigi Allen and his work. The documentary hated Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies, uh, and it follows the antics of Gigi and his new band, the Murder Junkies. Great name. Yeah, uh, that is a good. So name. that is a good. That is a good name. And you know Merle, his brother, is on bass again, and he's got an, a Hitler tash. But a really bushy Hitler tash. And Merle coming out, and uh, no, Gigi Allen coming out of prison has got like a reverse Hitler tash. Like the bit where the Hitler tash should go is just like missing, and the rest is all is all there. So between the two brothers, they have one cohesive mustache. <laughs> sure. Showing their bond. Anyway. So the film opens up on a glowing review of Gigi Allen, and the quote is, Gigi Allen is an entertainer with a message to a sick society. He makes us look at it for what we really are. The human is just another animal who is able to speak out freely, to express himself clearly. Make no mistake about it, behind what he does is a brain. He really is the fucking joker, this guy. Would you like to know who this reviewer was? I would. I would more than anything love to know that. Clown-based serial, <laughs> clown-based Wait. serial killer John Wayne Gacy. What? What? John Wayne Gacy. It gets better. I don't think how off you can get better from there. That's that's oh, oh shit. No, 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 no. This comes with icing. Oh, it turns okay. Out, it turns out Gacy was a fan of Allen's work and was an, an unofficial executive producer for the Gigi Allen documentary. What? How the fuck have I never known this about John? Okay. What? <laughs> the the direct the director called him up, as, you know, because 
Because, of course, Gigi Allen and John Wayne Gacy were friends. (laughs) Sure, yeah. Love to be friends with John Wayne Gacy. Not not like when he was doing the crimes, by the way. Uh, It was after. after, Yeah. 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 He just, he was, Gigi was fascinated by serial killers. And I mean, who among us is not? But like, we don't fucking befriend them. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, Alan, you know, visits John Wayne Gacy in prison and they hit it off, like, really well. Like, they talk about, you know, underage sex. It's a great time. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that is allegedly what they talked about, just like torturing, you know, teenage girls, which Amazing. is lovely. Lovely. Wasn't John and, Wayne Gacy into guys, if I'm correct? Oh yeah, he was into guys, but you know, he also he he was a fan of sexual torture of all kinds. Oh yeah, sure. Like he had his preference, but he could, you know, appreciate like some good some good torture of teenage yeah. girls as well. Like it, what's sure. funny as well is that, you know, they you know Gacy was a huge fan of Alan and his work, you know, judging by the glowing review. But he also said that uh, you know he he loved he loved Alan, but he smelt really bad. Like he smelt. <laughs> that oh is my what god! Imagine John Wayne fucking Gacy insulting you for like your smell. Like yeah, bad uh, vibes from that dude. Yeah, he smells like uh. He, he said he smelt like a uh, like a drunk hobo. Like <laughs> just covered because he was. He smelled, like, mm, he smelled like he had shoved shit into his own wounds. <laughs> And yeah, basically, uh, the director of the documentary called Gacy up, having known this information now, and asked Gacy to make some posters for the film after hearing that Gacy yeah. was a prolific painter uh, as oh, well yeah, as a serial yeah. killer. Apparently, Johnny Depp commissioned a paint- painting from Gacy that sold for something like 20 grand. And yeah. I can't believe this happened, but the director got a phone call from Gacy from prison where he was on death row, and Gacy said he told the <laughs> Gacy told the director, I'll do it for $50 for art supplies in jail, and a compromising <laughs> photo of yourself. Oh my god. Probably in that voice too, we'll never know. Yeah, but... probably. And the director did it. it. He didn't send a nude photo, but he did send a photo of himself looking very hawkish, whatever that means. And sure. They've got a picture of Gigi by John Wayne Gacy, and they make thousands of copies of the painting and sell them for fifteen dollars a pop via the back of music yeah, magazine. I think I, I think yeah. I've definitely heard this, like on last podcast on the left or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they, they I make... definitely heard this, but that this is probably where I know Gigi Allen from. Yeah, and this raises funds for the film to the tune of like eleven grand. Sure. And yeah, that's enough to make the movie. And you know, everyone's got like John Wayne Gacy pictures. And nice. the movie is, you know, it's just kind of, it's just loads of shit that happens. Just loads of uh, bad things that Gigi does to his body on the tour, and just confessing to weird shit. Like this is just a, a rundown. Uh. You know, he strips naked, Gigi Allen. He breaks bottles over his head, uh, attacks members of the audience, and I do mean attack, like throw them up on stage and beat the shit out of anybody randomly. Like, he doesn't seem to care whether they live or die at this point. Uh, He attacks his band members. Oh, yeah, his drummer, you know, his band as well, is Merle and the, the drummer, you know, because they're the only people that will be able to put up with Gigi Allen. 
and handle him, they're weird as fuck too. Like the yeah, drummer you gotta is- be to be yeah. like hanging around this guy after the shit is already pulled. Yeah, I mean the drummer is uh revealed in the film to just be constantly naked drumming. <laughs> and uh yeah, uh he's, I mean he's it, I mean that's cute and everything, but it's not so cute when it's revealed by a fan that he got picked up for exposing himself to a little girl. Oh. And and he'd said it was a joke and stuff, and it so that makes it okay. So yeah, ha ha. I was, yeah. I was just joking. The goddamn PC police arrested me, huh? Yeah, just yeah, can't you can't know. anyone make jokes anymore. That's kind of Gigi's whole thing because Gigi, it, it, you know, as well as going on tour, he's just talking to anybody. Like he goes on Jerry Springer. He goes on the J- <laughs> he he go he goes on the Jane Whitney show. He, basically any reality talk show that will have him on he just goes on and says crazy stuff like all the time like one time he he claimed on one of his appearances of the jane whitney show that he has had sex with animals on stage and he's he's raped both men and women at his shows and claims that it's an honor to be raped at one of his shows uh we don't have video evidence of that but i'm but I'm not sure. No, don't don't go off King that Lee. I fucking <laughs> that, heard you. That's why I said I didn't have a questioning voice. I like started saying it and then trailed off like, yeah, maybe don't actually. Uh, what? And yeah, this isn't even like his big performance. Basically, he will uh he'll talk to anybody, he'll say crazy shit. He says that like stuff like uh his you know, he's doing this because he wants revenge. You know, he wants revenge for rock and roll. Like, his body is a weapon and his lyrics are bullets. Oh my you know, God. and his target is the audience. And, I mean, it is kind of funny to watch him do this in front of a bunch of fucking stuffed shirts and go, oh, that's so rude. And that's why he gets on all the time. It's just basically he is, like, a living creature. It's like, oh, rude. Like, he doesn't have really any coherent political ideology just government bad authority bad why are you you know arresting me for punching people and shitting on stage this is america you can't can't arrest me i'm a sovereign citizen you have a warrant this i'm not driving a car i am traveling in a vehicle you cannot arrest me (laughs) oh my god and Actually, fun story, uh, on Jerry Springer, uh, one of the guests was uh, one of his fans. It was like one of those segments where they had Gigi Allen on and it, it was like a confrontation between Gigi Allen and uh, a, ver- a teenage fan who and her father who was obsessed with Gigi Allen. And uh, yeah, and it was just sort of, oh, it's bad. We have to like convince her that now meeting Gigi Allen, he's a very bad man. You know, you don't want to be associated with him. They ended up dating after that episode. <laughs> oh, that kind of owns, not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. And she, like, goes with him on a few other reality shows. The harem oh, of teenagers who fucking should know better. But, <laughs> man, that dad. Worst yeah, fucking scenario. He real fucked it up. Yeah, instead of just saying, oh man, this, this dude is gross and violent and dangerous, she was like, oh my god, you're so beautiful. Oh. He is gross and violent and evil, daughter. Yeah, I he love... is. He's mine. I it's can like... make him better. 
I don't know if she wanted to make him better. It was just like, I want to do this with him. Yeah, I think she did even say at that point. I mean, I don't know what happened afterwards. Because uh, also, uh, Gigi Allen is a child with another teenager at this point who, he, oh, you know, raises for like three years. Well, his mother raises her for three years and then they never see them again because, you know, his last girlfriend didn't want anything to do with this guy who cut himself and rubbed shit all over himself and, you know, threatened to kill himself. Why he seems so nice. Yeah, so fair. He never see he never sees his daughter again, you know, which is kind of sad for um, uh, for Gigi's mother, who Aww. you know got attached to the kid, you know, and like Aww. there is like a documentary of like uh being mournful of that, like this is the only living part of Gigi that's still there, and like there's no chance they'll ever see them again, basically. And admittedly, it's because of you know. GG that this happened, but it is kind of sucky. It's yeah. sad. But yeah, he he dates a lot of teenagers, and I think there is like an episode where he's like uh of like one reality show where he they do say, Yeah, we're gonna like kill ourselves with him. Yeah, does we don't care that he kills us, you know, we're gonna stand by him no matter what. And we never fucking hear of them again. You know? That's I I think they're still alive. I don't know what happened to them after that. I think they just lived to be you know, mediocre adults. Anyway, that's that story. Um, so anyway, um, in the movie, it's very, it's just loads of typical shit that happens with with Gigi. You know, he threatens to kill himself. He, uh, on specific debts, he cuts himself, you know, rubs shit all over himself, uh, breaks his teeth uh, by, you know, knocking a microphone, because he knocks, you know, the microphone into his head a lot as part of his act and one time he like breaks you know his whole teeth by just shoving the microphone in too tight and Aww. yeah he never gets it fixed so he's like sort of like most of his front teeth are gone at this point he um he pisses on stage shits on stage uh throws at the audience eats his own shit um and jerks off in the corner a little bit in one of his shows as you do that's Jeez. Sorry, you okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm okay. It's just this guy, this guy. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just rubbing my head. I'm just like a lot of stuff. Please, uh, when when will the tail this man end? Is, is he still alive? Uh what do you think? Yeah, I think you implied earlier, like the only living part of there's him. no there's no there's no way that this guy would say. I would, I, I would like shudder to think what it would be like if this guy was still alive. Yeah. Because imagine this guy on Twitter. Oh, like, it would be so on, good. Like, that would be like he would be the main character of Twitter every single day. Oh, he would. So anyway, oh, be so good. Fun fact about the documentary: um, the director managed to trick a university into hosting uh, one of Gigi Allen's performances. Oh, hell yeah. It was great. It was it was so great. And uh, he expected Gigi Allen to like play or do a spoken word performance. Um, Gigi doesn't do that. Um, he peels a banana. Oh, no. And well, he gets naked because, of course, Gigi Allen is naked. And in front of all of these students in like, you know, the student performance lounge, he sticks the peeled banana up his bum. Yeah. And froze the remains of the banana at the audience, going, "Are you hungry?" Jeez. 
And uh, yeah, the cops are called because uh, they, you know, they were misled. They thought this was going to be a poetry night, and um... <laughs> yeah, it's it's just too real, too real for them. They can't handle this real. I know, level I know. Of they censor him. They censor. <laughs> Yeah, they couldn't handle his truth, so they censored him. As and this is exactly what Gigi Allen fucking says every time he gets around. Oh, like, oh, said yeah. they're trying to they're trying to kill rock and roll. We have to kill them before they kill rock and roll. They're trying to censor us, and it's just honestly kind of sad. Oh yeah, I also there's also video footage that they put in of Gigi's birthday where. He gets a girl to piss in his mouth, and then he vomits, and then she ke- keeps on <laughs> eating. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a thing that I had to watch. Oh no, we're we're so we're sorry, Alex. We we thank you for your service. You know what else? You know, you know, you know what the great part of researching for this was after what? the thing. There is an actual because there is a fan base for this man. Yeah. I had a look for Googling what kind of YouTubers document Gigi Allen. Guess who I okay. fucking find is one of the top video commenters for Gigi Allen? Fucking Count Dankula. <gasps> yeah. Not, I, I, not, I was actually man. I was actually kind of Wait, thinking okay. of him a little bit when you were saying the like, oh, I'm just I'm just trying to be provocative, keep like rock and roll alive. I was kind of thinking of Count Dankula when you said that, like his recent debate with Vosh is just him going like Oh, I'm just trying to keep comedy alive, like by being controversial and saying the most controversial things and pissing people off. Like that's that's uh, just his persona. Like I'm not surprised by this. Oh boy, uh, so should we uh, should we enlighten the cast, the yeah. members of the audience, people at home, viewers and listeners alike? Count Dankula um, is a YouTube commentator, fascist. Uh, who, um, who basically uh, as far as the UK, like his main claim to prominence was he got a pug to do a Hitler salute. Yeah, he's the Nazi pug guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, in Britain, we uh, we generally have a you know uh, no Hitler salute in public kind of thing, which also includes like you know. Yeah, it, yeah, just basically don't go into a public space and shout Heil Hitler and Zig Heil and, you know, teach your pug to do that for, you know, clout on YouTube because, um, you know, to that's be a public fair, I do kind of think like it was a bit it wasn't, smart to give well, him like this is, a, this, is, this is my hot take. I think that it was a bit overzealous, but the thing is he didn't help his case by getting fucking Tommy Robinson to stand for him during that period to prove uh, he's not like, a racist. What, what, what he did first, like Nazi pug thing, like, I, I, I think that's like, I mean, it's kind of a shitty joke, sure, but I think it's like, well, slipping in for that is bad. But then everything he's done since that has just proven he's a fucking ass. So, like, if yeah. the Nazi pug thing can kind of be waved away, like, oh, an insensitive joke, but no, he's just like full on going all out to prove he's a fashion at this point. Yeah, he joined UKIP for yeah. uh, a while back with Sargon of Akkad and his just. You know that went really well for him. As well. yeah, and you've got Paul cool. Joseph Watson. We're not gonna. We're not gonna like. You know. Sorry, sorry. This is getting. This is getting uh, very twittery. Yeah, it is getting very twittery. <laughs> yeah, but all you need to know really is that Count Dankula, Count Dankula is the prime. 
you know, shithead Gigi Allen fan, really. Yeah, like, he, he, yeah. he does give the same vibe, like, oh, I'm just saying and doing things to piss people off. But, like, unlike Gigi, like, um, yeah, he doesn't Countdank actually has, like, a message he wants to get across. Yeah, I mean... I mean, this is this is the thing that I quite like about Gigi is that uh, you know he doesn't have a coherent message other than I hate everyone. I'm going to like destroy you. Like yeah, that's what that's he, what Dankula pretends to do, but like he actually has a message. And, yeah, and, like what he's doing. And he's like he's too much of a pussy to like you know hurt himself or get into a fight. So, so oh yeah, I know. want to see Dankula like do the shit this guy does. Yeah, like I want to <laughs> well, see him get so well, stoned for Cloud that he does this shit. Actually, I I don't. Well, this is the thing that people say as well. It's like Gigi Allen was like, a vi you know, a visionary because he does shit that nobody else does. And it's like, there's a good reason no one does this. <laughs> no one wants to see that. And yeah, and, you know, he hurt himself a lot. Like doing things and nobody else does isn't necessarily always a good thing. <laughs> anyway, this goes on uh, for a while, just like you know, doing all kinds of outrageous things and, like, it culminates in uh, a final gig where he does the whole eating shit and then, you know, rubbing himself with shit again and hurting himself. And he, it's it's so funny because he's he's actually doing Bite It You Scum, which is one of my favourite of his discography. And it is pretty cool. I mean, he you can't fucking hear him. He just goes, because he's, like, you know, wrecked doing this yeah as i said norwegian black metal yeah he, you know what yeah, i think he started it he must have started this movement yeah he just started like specifically started norwegian black metal like he was he was like reincarnated as dead i don't think the timeline matches up quite considering when he was born but he he possessed like dead into doing the shit he did What's what's amazing about the the final scenes of this uh, of this documentary is that the room is packed with people going GG you know and wanting to see you know this train wreck and through his performance he manages to completely clear the entire room in like the Do space I even of one know what he did that, well he just did all the stuff i mentioned you know he ate oh. his own shit he covered okay. himself in shit he goes into the audience covered in shit and just sings at them covered in shit and they're all backing away like, what the fuck, dude? Don't, don't come near me. Did they and, not know what they were in for at that point? Well, I think like like most dipshit, you know, fucking metalheads, they think it's not going to happen to them. This is a great thing. One of the great characters of the documentary is a guy called Unk. That's his only name, Unk. And he describes why he's into Gigi and he, he says that, well, you know, I, I like, you know, a lot of stuff fucked up shit happened in my life and I live vicariously for him because my band won't take a shit on stage and roll around in it or roll around in broken Fucking glass. Cowards. So, so yeah, it's like, well, it's like watching a car wreck, you know, it's just, I feel like he gets my shit out for me. And he says, it's also likes the adrenaline uh, of maybe getting into a fight with, with, with Gigi, but he knows to stand to the side or in the back so that he's not in the line of fire so that you know he can enjoy it at a distance and not actually get fight so everyone in front who doesn't fucking know what's going to happen is getting hit <laughs> but these fucking cowards <laughs> are just sitting there you know appreciate like yes good you know like fucking classical music concert 
and because yeah. they they can watch a train wreck but they don't want to be in the train wreck is what i get from these guys and you know they'll say they'll say, they'll say shit like oh it's like a satire on modern life and rock <laughs> and roll you know but it really they want to watch a man have a full meltdown on stage and they don't yeah, actually like this reminds me like the way that they're talking about it is like the way like Alex do you remember like that whole uh, fiasco of My Chemical Romance and oh, like The oh. Guardian oh shit oh no go um, on for go those on. of us who have good taste in music please enlighten us ouch oh, <laughs> 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 I got in <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <laughs> a, a while back, there was um, there was a suicide of this uh, one My Chemical Romance fan. I forget her name. And basically, uh, the Guardian, amongst other newspapers at the time, uh, took this as a uh, rallying thing to demonize yet again more teenagers um this time uh involving my chemical romance now this was like relatively early on in their career so they did have that kind of you know vaguely sort of edgy aesthetic going on you know like wearing black and red and stuff like, like that quote unquote edgy aesthetic yes yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to stop roasting them in the segment. I'm sorry in advance. Uh, so, uh, basically, this led to, like, a, a protest, sort of, uh, where it, people were like, hey, yeah, like, um, like, it, needless to say, the Guardian article got, like, it completely wrong. It's like, they accused uh, My Chemical Romance of being a cult and encouraging Satan worship and stuff. Oh, Please wow. ignore the fact that the majority of the band is, in fact, Catholic. Wait, they're, you're making them lamer to me. I'm sorry, they're Catholic. Yeah, uh, but they were accused of Satan worship. It would have been cooler if they were Satanists, though, like... Anyway, there was um there was a counter protest to all this Guardian stuff, and like um when people like actually got to listen about it, it was like oh yeah, it's like actually about life and stuff. So like there's there's like the thing that connected it in my head to Gigi, but uh, needless to say, uh, My Chemical Romance eventually got over this. Uh, they done danger days and stuff like that and hasn't other than that one thing there hasn't been much if any like controversies with my chemical romance which this like the this like traditional like satanic panic bullshit like yeah oh, this this artist like you can see this kind of shit happen to like marilyn manson and other people like that like oh they listen to this song and that song made them kill themselves. Well, this is Satanists encouraging suicide. Like we've seen this with like a lot of, a lot of like bands and artists and like movies and media that's like has like an edgy aesthetic or like edgy subjects. Like it's just yeah. standard like satanic panic bullshit. 
anyway, this was your um, this was your brief break from the tales of Gigi. <laughs> right, back to the back to the fecal matter. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> well, basically, what I'm saying is that you know he was gaining quite a lot of traction. It was weird because he had this really insanely powerful cult following of uh, well, an ex bank mem- ex member of uh, his of his band calls the biggest fucking idiots in uh, in the scene and i kind of agree they uh the, he was like really popular and gained a lot of attention as sort of a freakish carnival act but the actual music that he did was kind of cut short like most of his gigs were just cut short either because people fucking left because that you know, actually being confronted with a, a screaming, violent man covered in his own shit <laughs> is not as good in person as it is in theory. And yeah, basically the cops got ca- got called on that venue. Uh, they had to cut the tour short and the documentary short uh, because Chi got got rushed on stage at one gig by all of his fans just beating the living shit out of. Him. How the tables have turned. Yeah, the, how could this? Oh have... wait, uh, sorry, sorry. I just uh, done a quick fact check. It's not the Guardian; it's the Daily Mail. Oh well, I uh, can't then. believe done the Guardian dirty like this. SMH. It's now... full of tips. It's very not surprising that it was the Daily Mail, though. Yeah. Anyway, it's like yeah. Basically, now that Gigi is actually being injured and stuff, rather than injuring other people, then they cut the tour short. And that's Fucking that. Coward. Uh, yeah, and the uh, the it's so funny because the director says that in order to film, they had to wear like orange badges, like little orange sticker badges, to show that they were part of the film crew because Gigi would attack just anybody, and his memory was getting real bad at that point. So, like at one point, he would like know that he was being in a documentary and going on tour, and another time, he would just completely forget. So. Literally, what they had to do was like, you know, every time he was about to come running for you like a rhino, they just show the badge and go, Gigi, Gigi, badge, Gigi, badge, Gigi, badge. Oh, and they go, they, you know, just kind of figuring it out like, you know, an ape trying to figure out a puzzle. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, don't hit them. So <laughs> that's what it was like going on, going on fucking tour with this, this maniac. And anyway, um, this could only ever end one way. Um, Gigi books the biggest gig that he's ever had. And I love how he advertised it. Uh, he said on one radio show, I have some bad news. We're, we're playing the gas station. And it would be very much bad news for Gigi because uh, I think about like, you know, almost a thousand people arise, like the biggest crowd that they ever had in New York was at the gas station. And in just a matter of minutes, it went from like like hundreds of people to two people in the audience. They just they just fucking left because they were like, he's not even playing music. He's just like covering himself in shit and cutting himself and yelling at us and punching us. And yeah, it was the set was cut short because well, the venue people didn't want anything to do with it do with this they just they booked gg allen because they thought it was going to make them a lot of money and it did and then everyone's asking for refunds like a few minutes in and instead of taking this in his stride as usual gg like you know plays the gig outside 
And by playing the gig, I mean he goes out naked with a bunch of his followers and just throws like bottles at buses and rolls around and everyone's like chanting like, you know, this is just some random ho homeless man doing a performance art. And it's honestly kind of sad because he's done a lot of coke and a lot of alcohol at this point and he's just incapable. But he's just like walking around. There's There's video footage of this on YouTube as well of 30 minutes just wandering around you know, like, you know, a boy on a stag night. And then, like, he decides after this, cause, like, even Merle, his brother who loves him and has been through him, been through all this shit with him from the beginning, even at this point, Merle just says, fuck this, and wanders off. And that's when the problem arises. They, uh, Gigi gets into a cab with his girlfriend, who's a teenager from Jerry Springer, presumably. <laughs> And, you know, just gets into a cab with a bunch of people. And, yeah, that's the last he said. He does, like, what one of his friends describes as not a lot of heroin. But I'm sceptical. I mean, uh, I want to know what a lot of heroin by his standards is. I mean, yeah. not a lot could still be a lot by normal people's standards. It's like just a giant comedy syringe of heroin. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just dose, you know. And yeah, he he's at this place and he's like, you know, he falls asleep, you know, through loads of heroin use, partying all night, coming down from the coke. And he's in like a jockstrap and a Nazi helmet. And he's fallen asleep and everything's fine. And then the next day, you know, believe it or not, the director like comes in and just asks him to wake up. But he's like, nah, mate, he's out. Can't film or do anything. You know. We can't, you know, we can't go to the premiere or do any promotional work, sorry. He's off his bonts on on heroin. And he's fine, but then just in his sleep, he just quietly goes away. And at the age of uh, age 36, he dies. 1993. Could you, could, could you just clarify the cause of death on that one, sorry? Uh, heroin overdose. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, this guy was doing a lot of different stuff, I mean. Yeah, I mean, and that's another thing he would do uh, in gigs. Like, if you were to give him anything, he, he would take it. Like, that. another thing, this, like, I'm surprised that this guy had such a long life, <laughs> frankly, because yeah. dying at the ripe old age of 36, because if you were to give him like any sort of pills, he would just take it on the stage then and there. And, you know, he could have been given poison for all we know, but still lived through it. And that's really, that's really, I mean, that's when the story gets quite sad because, you know, it's the typical thing, like he was going, he would keep threatening to like, you know, go out with a bang and stuff, but he pretty much goes out with a whimper. Like, his biggest gig that he's ever done has just ended in flames. And he immediately dies. Um, but the story doesn't end there. Because what was funny as well is that when the documentary was aired, you know, he, he saw the documentary before his death. And in the theatre, he got kicked out of it. Because, again, you know, he... <laughs> Again, you know, being Gigi Allen, he has to, you know, go to a public place and roll around in the shit. 
you know so he gets kicked out of that but he did like uh, he was happy with the documentary for you know the half that he saw of it and uh and you know he hugs the director and yeah other than seeing Gigi Allen unconscious that's the last experience he uh he had of him and uh, the director goes to his funeral as well. And because, you know, it happened so so quick after the first airing of the film, they had to, like, edit in Gigi Allen's funeral, which he requested specifically that he not be embalmed or have anything done to his body. So he's buried in what he was, like, you know, what he died in, which is his jockstrap and leather jacket. I think they took, yeah, they took off the Nazi helmet, but, you know, it's pretty much just like a bloated corpse and apparently in the wake they kind of weekend at bernie's his corpse you know they started dancing around with it like one girl oh, pissed geez. in the mouth of it like again you know it's I mean, what, it it is what he'd, i mean with anyone else i'd say that's like horrible and like desecration but i think that might be what Gigi would have wanted yeah, i mean he requested it on his birthday frequently oh, so right. i think that's yeah so yeah, they're just pouring alcohol and piss in his mouth, and like then they bury him, and it's a you know that that's when the it it becomes a somber affair, and yeah, they they have his he well he was uh, buried in his um, hometown in New Hampshire, but they've had to take his gravestone away. Um, because like vandalism and disruption, I'm guessing. Uh, well, yeah, I mean not really. Van well, it was vandalism, but like a lot of fans get very excited and commit to the bit too much, and they had to like <laughs> they were having parties there, of course, and you know it's very loud rock parties, you know, in a uh, New Hampshire cemetery. But a lot of fans kept shitting on the grave and pissing on the grave and. You know, generally the smell was unbearable, so they've had to remove the headstone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, understandable. Yeah. So that's a sad end to Gigi Allen's story. But there is a, I haven't revealed the reason why I chose this specifically. I'm quite curious. The, the thing is, how I got into this is through the documentary Hated by Gigi Allen. Do you know who the director of this documentary was? No, I'm very John excited. McCarthy. Nope. Todd Phillips. Wait, th that's not the Joker Todd Phillips, is it? That is the Joker Todd Phillips. Yeah, that was what I was saying. Wait, the wait. fucking Joker. You get what you fucking deserve. Exactly. Yeah. He is the inspiration oh for the Joker. <laughs> he is the inspiration for the Joker. What the fuck? Oh my god. Deal with that information. <laughs> I am Man. dealing with it. I love that. Uh, wait, what? Oh, you mean like Joker the Joker? Yeah, the, the Joker yeah. movie. You know that the Joker movie from oh like last year. God. The director. I've not even seen the movie. I've not even seen the movie. You, you gotta What's see it? Joker, honestly. You you kind of have to now knowing this information. Yeah, you, you kind of have to see it. Like I kind of want to like rewatch it again just for like not now knowing. <laughs> that this. was about. 
Alex, I was just, I was, I was almost like, okay. So this episode had like a so here's here's like a graph auditorially of how this episode went. It went like, emotional roller coaster. It was an emotional roller coaster. It's just like that little fucking shit. I want an aneurysm. <laughs> you need to need to have something to explain. Well, maybe you should do what Gigi did and get all your pain out on stage by you know you know rolling around in your own shit and then eating it. You know, because it worked for him. Yeah, it worked very well. He ended up like having a long fulfilling life. I just, I just, what the thing? You know what the crazy? What the craziest part of this is? Is that knowing this, you know, not only is Gigi Allen predating death metal and inspired. I don't think he's is he predating death metal though. If he's predating like black metal, is it predating is he really predating death metal? Like I think when that's they owe him a they owe him a lot. Death was like the first death metal band. That's where death metal comes from. They were founded in 1983, but he is predating black metal. At least, like the Norwegian black metal scene. Sorry, that's it's... my that's my like. Got we gotta get the metal the sub the subgenres of metal facts correct. Sorry, just... go on. No, it's fine. It's it's that, and he's he's responsible for that. And Gigi Allen is also responsible for the Hangover movies and the Joker film. Yeah, because this was Todd Phillips's first film, <laughs> and. Oh. This was a huge. This was a, a big cult success, and he attributes, you know, a lot of his future success on this. And and I'm sorry, but you cannot tell me that hanging out with Gigi Allen didn't inspire the Joker. I'm seeing so many things in Gigi's coherent speeches <laughs> that is kind of almost directly quoting the film. Like, I mean, you get what you deserve is literally directly quoting the film. Exactly. Like exactly. that is that's like that's like the quote from the film, the quote. Yeah. Uh, like before you mentioned it, I was getting like Joker vibes, but I was getting like Jared Leto Joker. Vibes. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no, I'm, I'm getting like I'm getting like the the sort of uh, the shit. I'm forgetting his name. Uh, I'm the Joker, baby. I'm the Joker, baby. Fuck! What's the what's the guy's name? <laughs> The Joker, baby. Uh, give me Joaquin Phoenix, right? Yeah, no, I was getting yeah. like Joaquin Phoenix or like, shit, now I'm forgetting his name too. Uh, Heath, Heath Ledger. Like, I'm getting, I'm getting yeah, the, the real deranged Joker vibes here. I mean, I think, well, I mean, I say this as someone because I, it's so weird actually because. Through this, I didn't even know who Gigi Allen was until I found this out. It was like I found the name of of the documentary through like a compilation of weird fucked up films that you know you shouldn't watch by May Lates, which is uh, Nick's Fears on YouTube. Like really great YouTuber, and I I watched it because it was like you know I was bored and said, oh yeah, you know the guy who directed the Joker directed this film, and I'm like I've got to do this for Lee. I've got it. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. You know, I'm like I just threw out all of the other you know oh, things I planned. Thank I'm you. Clearing oh, the you. Table. I appreciate that. Oh. I'm clearing the fucking table because we're eat- we're gonna eat this. But yeah, let's maybe think- not eat this though. There's a lot of shit going on here. Let's not 
Let's yeah. not do some solo shit here. <laughs> just like the fact is that every single gig was solo shit. Like, let's, yeah. I just want to emphasize this. This isn't just a one-off thing that G.G. Allen did. Every single show he did this. Like every single show he would take a shit. He would eat the shit. He would, you know, he would he would scrabble all over himself. He would like threaten suicide. He would jerk off in the corner for a little bit. He would fight some people. He would get get his shit kicked out of him. Like I mean, that would that's take gotta a be like anyone's body. That's gotta be <laughs> like intense and uh, uh, I guess cool in a way. Like the first eleven times, but after that, I have a feeling like oh yeah, same old shit. Anyway, anyway, we've seen the nice Gigi from the from the early seventies to early 80s um this is how you know his later years uh made him look in the chat jeez oh shit yeah oh yeah he's yeah he's he has like the manson stare not good yeah yeah that was just his resting bitch face he's his resting manson stare (laughs) It's not even even like the Manson, because at least the Manson like stare has some emotion to it, like some malice. This just this just the same intensity, but like empty in a way. It's kind of creepier. Like it's really intense, but it's also really empty. Yeah, but I'll I'll, I'll probably link this below for context. Like I I do not I do not want to give this man like resting bitch face. He doesn't deserve that. Yeah, that's not a resting bitch face. I don't know what that face is. It's, like, it's definitely something I cannot pinpoint that emotion. I fucking palate cleanser after this. Jeez. I know. I feel like I need to just rub some disinfectant on Discord because you know this 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 boy be stanky. <laughs> and it's, I, yeah. I, like okay, like we've how many episodes into this podcast are we? Like, four. four? <laughs> Just four. Oh god. Four episodes. And like I feel sick about hearing this man. Like I feel like nauseous. That might have something to do with the chicken that I ate and it wasn't cooked <laughs> properly, but still, I feel sick. I feel nauseous about hearing this man. Like No. It's d- that's what I that's what I'm saying. It's it's so weird because like I've watched more Gigi Allen content than I've ever wished to, just for this episode, and it's like, and what the sad thing about it, it the, the thing is, I watched this movie and I've described what you see in it, and you know, it was like me, let's like, oh, the most disturbing documentaries, you know, just real bad news or whatever. But watching it, all I felt was just kind of bored, you know, oh, just kind like, of sad. Like bored. I haven't, I haven't feel like I kind of get the desensitized thing because like. Like looking at this, like looking at these photos, like hearing about this stuff, like I mean, it's not pleasant, but I don't really feel disturbed by it either. It's, it's like, not just—it's this... not just that. I, it's not just you know. Be I think that after John McAfee it broke me, and I'm just jaded as well. <laughs> but it's like, but it's—it's it's also just the fact of like having people talk about him and stuff, and like you know, knowing about his past, and like like this band was clearly going through internal shit, and yeah. Yeah, and he and the shit was like, you know, basically he used a lot of people who go through shit use self harm as a way of coping. It's a terrible cope, a terrible cope. I say you should not do that. But the problem was his form of self harm had a parasocial angle to it. So like he had like loads of other dipshits enabling him to do this because they came 
you know, wanting to see a man crash and burn in front of them. Like, if they got hit in the process, you know, they would, like, back away and, like, leave the gig. But, you know, mostly they yeah. came there to see something awful. And I absolutely blame them for yeah, this guy's yeah. To be to to be relevant with the times with the YouTube drama, this reminds me kind of the Etika situation with like someone obviously going through a mental breakdown and people just kind of egging them on because it's like fun content. I know this is why I don't. I wouldn't have liked him to have. I know this is weird to say, but I wouldn't have liked him to have lived into the social media era because I knew this would just yeah. be wrapped up to like might have actually killed some people if he had this kind if he had the social media influence like i do not i absolutely don't trust you know a lot a lot of people on the internet and there were periods in prison where he said he wanted to get clean and you know get out of this but it's like you know he wanted to do uh music and be relevant and this music was all he knew how this performance was all he knew how to do so he did it so and, and i do feel that you know despite everything even though he's like, you know, I keep having to go in the back of my mind saying, actually, this guy fucking assaulted people and, you know, sexually assaulted people and possibly raped people as well. So I have to try and force that to the front of my brain and not forget that because most of the documentaries about him try and gloss over that shit. <laughs> that he went to prison for, oh, no reason whatsoever. No, no, there was good reason why he went to prison for all of this shit. Uh, I... I still feel really sorry for like all of this stuff, like him doing all of this to himself. It just makes me kind of fucking sad because it's, you know, there's a, there's a certain kind of patheticness to this kind yeah, of I mean, shock. It's kind of knowing like where like where this started, like his his childhood and everything. Yeah, it's just you can kind of see how he got this point and no one helped him. Like he clearly needed some help. And it's yeah. it's. It's sad as well because, like, I I'm not saying this with any tinge of irony. I do actually like some of his songs. Like, I mean, the one we listened to sounded kind of generic, but like, I feel like he had the potential at least there. Like, you can sense like they they kind of knew what they were doing with the instruments and like the singing wasn't bad either. Like, I feel like there's I didn't like that particular song, but I feel like they had some potential, like a little bit. Like, I could see them making good songs, sure. Yeah, and like for real, like "Bite It, You Scum," uh, "Scumfuck Outlaw," and uh, his cover of "Carmelita." You know, like his sort of country type stuff is actually really good. I, uh, I'll, I'll stand by those statements. I mean, you can call me like terrible uh, music person. Or you're like, and it's probably true because I'm not like a music-y type person, but I did like it. I did like some of his stuff. It's just a shame that, you know, the other stuff happened. And he's known for all of this horrific shit that he did to his body and to other people than he was for the thing that I think he was actually rather good at. Yeah, it's kind of, I hate to keep coming, having to come back to the Norwegian black metal shit, but like, well, it's, it's and, like within within the Norwegian black metal scene, like Varvikinas as Bursum did like good music. If you're into that type of music, it's it's like good music. What what Bursum did, and like yeah, the, the other stuff is really a shame. The like murder and Nazism and yeah, all that. It's yeah, I get where I get where you're coming from. Like with with this guy. It's also uh, okay. Alex. Yeah, yeah. You're going to Ennis Del Mar jail. 
What? <laughs> You're going to Ennis Del Mar jail. Yeah, not you're gonna have to clarify who the fuck that guy is. Uh, um, it's Heath Ledger's other famous role. The guy he, did, he played in Brokeback Mountain. Oh, oh, oh. That guy, yeah. So it's Gay Cowboy Jail. It's Gay Cowboy Jail. Yeah, you're going into Gay Cowboy Jail for your sins against the podcast. <laughs> I mean... Wait, fair. what are the I'll sins co- against the podcast? I- I'll come willingly. I-, I think I do deserve this. Wait, cause... are the sins liking this guy's music? Because you're going to have I mean, to send me away for like thinking Burst about some good songs too if we're, if we're cancelling people based on the chat. No, just, just this whole segment. Like, this whole oh, segment sure. just like got this me. Whole... What the... I'm fuck. so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> I think I'll leave it at that. I will like show you more songs that I uh, that I like about his, but it's like I think that we are at minus sanity points right now. So it's we're like... at my we're at so many fucking minus sanity points right now. I must say I don't know oh, if you noticed God. like as we were going on, I was just getting more and more depressed as we were going towards yeah, the end. We're of it. all was... here. Yeah, we're all. Or I've been hearing us all like get exhausted and depressed by the end of this guy. This guy stuff. All right, thank you, Alex, for that terribly exhausting and depressing segment. I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. That is that is the that is it for this episode of the Lot to Unpack Here podcast. Alice, you want to tell us where people can find you on the internet? You can find me at Rebel Gender, and I want to thank my brilliant co-host Alex for introducing me. To this man. I am not saying this with gritted teeth. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, You can find me at Obscuricom. Where shall people uh, direct their complaints, Alex? Yes, Obscuricom and on the Gigi Allen fan Facebook page. That, which is a real oh, thing, run by his brother. Oh, you can okay. actually visit it. Yeah, Gigi Allen on Facebook. Uh, He sells merch. And other I things. Hope to see you there, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and you can find me at bewildered underscore b on Twitter. Thank you very much for tuning in to this episode, and if you somehow enjoyed it, please do rate, comment, and subscribe. So you can also tune in to see us play some Dungeons and Dragons on Saturdays at the Communes and Comrades YouTube channel if that's something you're interested in. Until next time, folks. Have a good one. We don't have time to unpack all of